It's us. It's just us two. It is. It's classic. It's classic but World War II. It, it, it's classic World War Stage One, but it's brand new for Dangerously Unprepared. It is. But do you remember the olden days? I do. When we used to have to like dig the recordings out of bare rock with our with our hands. And, and deal with vomiting cats in the background. Vomiting cats, and we and we'd ask for you know we'd ask for a new microphone, and Gaffer would spit in our face. I remember the days well, and we'd be thankful. We would. Yeah. Kids today, they don't know they're podcasting. And welcome to Dangerously Unprepared. I am Simon, and joining me in a throwback to the olden days is Jack. Oh, yeah! And no one else. Yep. It is just the two of us tonight. We, we may have a visitor later in the show, but for the moment, it is just us. It's, so it's a, a good it's thing. That it is. Uh, it's a good thing that the question we got on Twitter uh, is pretty much a question for you. For me? Yeah. Wait, people know I exist. Someone does. Holy shit. All right, cool. So from Shaded Spriter on Twitter, uh, we get a question about the Gone to the Cinema movie in the episode (gasps) that was being listened to. How does Cure for Wellness compare to GDT gothic horror movie Crimson Peak? Oh, man. I think we're going to have to edit this because... Simon, I never saw Crimson Peak. <laughs> and now I look like a jackass because I'm fairly certain I was like, oh, it's a really good return to gothic horror, this thing. And I completely forgot that Crimson Peak was a thing, which did it like a year before. Yeah. I think everyone shit on it. So I don't remember. I never the short answer is no idea. No idea. I'm, I'm sure they probably had some links together. Um... I'm so sorry. I finally got a question and I can't answer it. God damn it. Uh, I know it's well, the unprepared and everything. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Oh, and the God. follow-up question was, have you seen the alternate ending to Get Out? Uh, no, but I can, I, I, assu- I can only assume what it is. A more traditional horror movie ending. Fair enough. Uh... Let me, let me, before we go on, let me just Google it. Because <laughs> it might be that, you know, they all turn into Twilight Dancing Girls. Yeah, that is a valid alternate ending. In other news, I replaced the water cooler in my PC with an air cooler. And oh my god, air cooling has come a long way since I was last looking at putting a cooling system into a PC. Yeah. The thing I've put in there is a beast. Like, you know, 140 mil case fans, the big ones. Yeah. Oh, yeah. My CPU cooler has two of those. Huh. It's phenomenal. It's actually. Uh, uh, my watch is making noises. It's actually cooler than my water cooler. Well, it's cooler than my water cooler was when my water cooler was working. Let's put it that way. Huh. Air is cooler than water. In this instance, yes. Huh. 
So insert Avatar reference here. <laughs> no, because the Water Tribe were cooler. Well, I mean, they lived in the poles. Actually, they were enormous dorks, but so were the air nomads. No, no, but they lived in the poles. That is true. So they were, in fact, cooler. But in, in a literal temperature sense, yes. Which is the only sense I, I deal with. Okay. <laughs> I have just looked up the alternate ending to get out, and holy shit, that is exactly the ending I was expecting it to be. Uh, oh, that's interesting. Which would have been very apt for a horror film of what and what it was going for, but I think given how I felt coming out of it anyway, I think if they'd gone with this alternate ending as the actual ending, fucking hell, I would have just come out of that screen and opened a wrist. That was horrible. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a bleak, bleak film all the way through, and then, yeah. Yeah. I mean, spoiler, Get Out has a happy ending uh, for for certain values of happy. Um, Horrible things still happen to people. Um, Like, the ending doesn't make that go away. Uh, but the alternate ending is just like it, it. It's almost as bleak as the original ending, to, as in the ending to the original Night of the Living Dead, which is still the most like just harrowing thing ever. Fair enough. I I haven't seen that, and I probably <laughs> won't see Get Out, so I'll have to take your word on it. I, I would recommend seeing Get Out. It's it's very good. I I have no problem with it being very good it's just you know me in horror movies it is it's not a very it's not a very traditional horror movie in that it's like uh, i don't know it's 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 dressed as a horror movie (laughs) um it's it's more it's definitely more of a psychological horror than a than a violent or, or jump scare horror there is like one jump scare thing in it near the beginning and then That's I'm more likely it. to give it a go at some point, but yeah, I, I'm not in a rush. Yeah, I, I would recommend it, but like you know, obviously, if you have issues with horror films in general, you know, go in, go into it prepared. Yes. Now I would do the Have we gone to the? Uh, uh, I would do the Have we gone to the cinema bit, but I know we both have, and I know we've both seen the same film, but so have our other co-hosts. So we should probably wait for them to be what around them, before yeah. we give an opinion. Also, it's been like three years since I've last been on the show, so... <laughs> and suffice I mean, it to say, uh, opinions will differ on that one. True, and I've seen, a lot of, I've seen a lot of films in the meantime as well. Yeah, but you I know I'm talking about Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. Yeah. I, was thought, I thought, honestly thought you were talking about Alien Covenant. No, because I've not seen it. You've not? You're right, yeah. And don't plan to. I, I can't recommend it. I really yeah, can't. It's the opinion I'm getting from pretty much everyone, so I'm... Uh, Again, in no rush. Like, uh, if you make an alien film, and at some point I have to question whether you're making a parody movie, you, you've made you fucked up, is what you've done. Yeah, that it doesn't recommend it to me at all. Yeah, the only thing that recommends it is that Michael Fassbender makes out with Michael Fassbender. Yeah, and I have issues with Michael Fassbender, so yeah, that, that's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, not gonna bother. Yeah. Fair enough. Cool. So, shall we move swiftly into the topic of speaking of Michael Fassbender making out with Michael Fassbender? Uh, men grappling at each other. <laughs> Yay! It's my favourite of topics. <laughs> but also wrestling. But also wrestling. Now, I know probably the last thing we both saw that I know of would have been the last WrestleMania. Yes, because I've not watched, uh, is it Vengeance or Backlash? Uh, neither, Payback. 
Hey, oh, God damn it. It's the same word. Stupid goddamn synonyms. Well, Backlash is next because, of course, we've had the brand split. So you had to have the SmackDown one and the Raw one. And they're both the first one after WrestleMania. So one of them is Payback and one of them is Backlash. When, when did they start doing... Okay, so WWE, let's just open this with, when did they start doing the brand split pay-per-views again? Because didn't they stop doing that when they realized that was an absolutely terrible idea back in like 2007? Well, what happened then was uh, they remerged the uh, rosters mm. because they had quite a shallow talent list yeah. at the time, so they were struggling to fill shows. Uh, but since then... With the arrival of something I think we're probably going to talk quite a lot about tonight, NXT, mm. the roster has exploded to the point that they've got way too much top talent for, like, one set of titles. Right. Like, who do you put in the championship division when you've got, obviously you've got your Cena and oh, yeah. your Lesnar and your Orton and, like, the old faces but you've also got AJ Styles and you've got Finn Balor and you've got Dean Ambrose coming up. You've got Bray Wyatt. You've got Jericho still on the show and with him, Kevin Owens as top tier talent. You've got so many championship contenders. Simon, how could you mention all of those names and not mention Roman Reigns? (laughs) Well, because Roman Reigns is awful. He's not Actually, awful. he's not. He's not awful. He is not awful at all. His booking is awful. Exactly, which is something which has, has really kind of dogged a lot of people throughout their, their Oh, yeah, career. like Cena. Early, early Cena. Yeah. Mid-Cena also. Really and and to some degree, late Cena. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you've got so much top-tier talent that the WWE Championship gets really, really crowded. Like the women's division, even. Yeah, yeah, which is there was a time like, no, when you had maybe one valid women's champion and a few people for them to fight with, and yeah, and now holy shit, they need two women's divisions, which is incredible. So they did the brand split again. They did it last year. Uh, to answer your question yeah. of when did they start doing this again, it was almost exactly a year ago. Uh, it was. July, I think. Uh, And, uh, yeah, they split into SmackDown and Raw, introduced the Universal Championship so they could have a top-tier championship on both. Is that Uh, one that uh, Finn Balor won it and then, like, like blew his arm up? uh, Yes. I cannot remember. Um, Because I know Kevin Owens held it for most of the year. Yeah. Uh, they they split off the the Divas Championship into two different women's championships, which was <laughs> welcome. Uh, was getting rid of the name Diva. Well, the fact that also that was it the Divas Championship the sort of purple butterfly belt. Yes. So now you've got a blue and a red belt that's come from a purple belt. That is true. I quite like that. <laughs> uh, that is actually pretty cool. I hadn't even thought of that, but I like it. <laughs> yeah, but also it's not a stupid goddamn sparkly Claire's accessory butterfly belt. <laughs> And they're calling them women, not divas. Yep. And and this is the thing, women's wrestling now, like, they have storylines that isn't, okay, this one is a heel because she doesn't want to be a model and, and she hates women. And this one is the face because she's pretty, like, yeah. conventional quotation marks. Like, that, yeah. wasn't that every storyline for about 
10 years? Um, not necessarily. Sometimes it was the other way around. Okay. <laughs> <It's>, okay. <laughs> like, uh, I, I remember Lita and Trish traded off who was face and heel a lot, but you definitely had the, uh, the classic cover model and the alternative look yeah. throughout. But then you go sort of further before that and into the sort of earlier Attitude Era when you had like uh, BB and that lot. And, and Sunny and was, Sable and... and everything was a goddamn paddling pool full of yeah food match. I don't know. Like nothing has developed more in the last few years than women's wrestling on but TV. You, and then you go earlier than that with with Fabulous Moolah and Mae Young and that weird era. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it's so good right now that I, there are so many women I want to see have a run with the belt. But I never want the current champion to lose the belt unless it's Charlotte. Um, <laughs> you know she'll just get it back in a week or two. Well, exactly. Like yeah. uh, the hot potato between Charlotte and Sasha Banks when they first introduced that title was it, preposterous. It's a new belt. You got to get some. You got to get some changeover on it. Yeah, but it's just the same two names. <laughs> like it led to a situation where on the WWE website there is a gallery for each championship, and you know. Yeah. They always have the press photo done with the belt after they win. Yeah. It's the gallery of all those press photos of all the champions in a belt's history. And looking at that belt was just Charlotte, Sasha, Charlotte, Sasha, Charlotte, Sasha, Charlotte. And you're like, this you belt's can, been around for two months. What are you doing? You could make it into one of those little spinny pictures where you could find out what Charlotte and Sasha Banks' kids would look like. <laughs> Um, so yeah, they did the brand split almost a year ago uh, and started doing brand-specific pay-per-views at that time. And one of the big reasons for that actually was uh, making SmackDown a live show again. Oh yes, because now it's it's officially called SmackDown Live, isn't it? Yes, because yeah. for years it was pre-recorded. Uh, Raw was live and SmackDown was pre-recorded. Yeah, And that was done because you had the whole roster traveling together, so doing... Um, a travel schedule that had them playing two different live shows a week was just ridiculous. Yeah. But now SmackDown's a live show. That's why you have two different rosters. Cause each one of them is only traveling to do one engagement a week. Well, one <laughs> taped engagement a week. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So they split the pay-per-view roster up, which also gives them more pay-per-views, which gives more value to your network subscription. So you can see all the business decisions that went into it. Someone's doing their work. Yeah. But I, I don't watch Raw. I don't watch SmackDown. I don't have the channels that we get those on in the UK. And also I can't commit to six hours of television well, a week. This is, this is something I wanted to know, because you, you, you've got a head for numbers and also like you keep up to date with wrestling. How many hours of material does the WWE put out per week? Uh, I assume you mean in-ring material, because if you want to start counting things like Total Divas and Holy Foley and Three at the Table... That's and... what I'm wondering. Like, week by week, how much like material gets put out? Well, just pure in-ring stuff. You have... Is Raw three hours or four hours now? Raw's three th- hours. Raw's three. SmackDown is either two or three. I think SmackDown's two, Raw is three. So let's call that five. You've got an hour of NXT, an hour of Cruiserweight, um, an hour of NXT, uh, yeah, 
hour of NXT, an hour of Cruiserweight. That's You've seven. got the UK show coming. Oh, yep. Um, in fact, debuting tonight, I believe. The, the day we're recording this. Yes, the day, uh, the day we're recording, yes. Mm. So that's, what, uh, eight hours of in-ring stuff alone. Jesus. And then they have however many shows and on the do- network that I don't watch, the, little, the documentary stuff, the reality show, massive air quotes stuff, <laughs> uh, the comedy bits. I, there's a lot of production going on. It's it's so weird to think like you can't keep up with that much footage. Like it would be it would be a full time job to watch it all. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, but what I do watch religiously is NXT. Ah, because that's, that's your go-to. Well, for me, it's hit the sweet spot. It's an hour-long show, mm-hmm. once a week, so it's not a huge commitment to keep up with. It's like any other because, show, really. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And because of that, they keep it really, really tightly focused. So there's just enough storyline to understand the characters involved and uh, buy into why you should be rooting for whoever. But it's mostly in ring. Unlike Raw, which will start with a half hour, 45 minute long promo piece uh, before you even see anyone actually get in the ring. Yeah. Because they have three hours to fill. It's more like seeing a Ring of Honor show or a Progress show, uh, except more family friendly. (laughs) <laughs> uh, they keep it tight, they keep it about the wrestling, they tell a lot of the story in the ring. And they tell a lot of the story with like post-match interview and stuff, rather than having these elaborate set pieces. And I, I really appreciate that. And a lot of the talent that's coming up through NXT is just so good. Um, Just in the last year, we've had Shinsuke Nakamura, Samoa Joe, Finn Balor, Bobby Roode, um, and and in the women's division, holy shit! You know, yeah. Bailey, Sasha Banks, Becky Lynch, Charlotte Flair, Oscar. Uh, you've got um, Lacey Evans there now. Uh, it, it's it's just it's a showcase of talent. Yeah, it's it's nice to see after the sort of the years of drought it seemed to be <laughs> of wrestling from about fucking. For, for for me anyway, I don't, I don't know if this is this is true for you necessarily, but from about the ruthless aggression era up until about what 2013, 2014? Yeah, it's been a long ass time of like this is this is something that's just like I think it's a really good idea we're doing this episode now because it seems to be certainly within like the nerd community at large, wrestling is really big again. Yeah, um, I I think. Like, I genuinely believe NXT has a lot to do with this. Yeah. Because NXT is not being run by Vince. I think that has a lot to do with it as well. Yeah. So Raw and SmackDown have a lot of pressures on them. Not only the fact that they've got network TV ratings that they need to keep up, they've got network TV sort of family-friendly codes they need to adhere to. They've also got Vince McMahon, who... Full credit to him for building up the business. Well, sort of, yeah, developing it from other Vince McMahon. Well, yeah, but other Vince McMahon had the Northeast Territory and didn't even have a TV deal or or a tape syndication deal. You know, Vince McMahon took it from a local territory to an international business. Yeah. And I'll take nothing away from him for that. Uh, Especially when you... 
Yeah, we can take stuff away from him for plenty of other things he's done and oh, said. Plenty and of other things, <laughs> which is what I'm moving on to. But yeah. you know, especially when you hear interviews with Shane about how um, other territory owners were threatening the family's lives when really? Phillips was expanding the business. Yeah, it was serious business. Jesus. Um, what he does have are some very fixed and increasingly old-fashioned opinions. That's a that's a very generous and diplomatic way of putting it. it I'm trying to be as political as possible <laughs> in the way I'm putting it. Do you, but... do you want me to do like the, the translation? The, the <laughs> yeah, if you want. Right, he's a racist old fuck whistle. Oh, and uh, no, he's a and homophobic sexist. racist old fuck whistle. And homophobic, sexist. Racist, yeah. sexist, homophobic old fuck whistle. Let's let's be accurate here. Yeah. So yeah, he he has very and even even if you're a white man, uh, if you don't have the right look, you'll never oh. get anywhere with Vince. Yeah, he's got a. I mean, like a lot of homophobes out there, like very very <laughs> like a lot of homophobes out there. I got to look at a lot of Vince McMahon's decisions and stuff like that. His crushing, <laughs> The World Bodybuilding Federation in the early nineties. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry, but there's some kind of there's something going on there. Yeah, I mean, let's not get too deep I'm into gonna... what's genuinely. Is it libel or slander when you say it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, uh, but one of those two. But he hasn't really changed the product in years. No, like that's unquestionable. He's still trying to do now what he's always done. And I think the real strength of NXT is, big surprise to me, Triple H turns out to be an incredible creative head. I mean, he's worked he's worked in the business for a very long time. He has. And the thing is, with his work in the business, is he's always been Vince's guy. You know? Yeah. That's uh, why he ended up in the family. But he's very much done things Vince's way, and... I kind of thought that that would extend into how he ran a promotion. Turns you know, out it's how he learned the business. Yeah. But it turns out the guy's very savvy. Like he's doing deals with indie promotions. Um, I, you know, for years, for years, you weren't even allowed to name another wrestling promotion yeah. on WWE programming. You weren't allowed to acknowledge the existence. You it, could say that they'd wrestled all over the world. Yeah. You couldn't even name foreign promotions they'd wrestled in, which struck me as very, very weird. Like, uh, because again, back in back in today, uh, when they would, you know, have all these cross promotion things with with the NWA, with um, with with uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling back in the, the in the nineties, they had that sort of cross promotion. Even with uh, ECW in the in the late nineties, yeah. when they actually had cross promotional stuff, uh, just before the Attitude Era sort of kicked off. Uh, when you had, uh, oh, who was it? Is it um, Public Enemy turning up mm. and and kind of getting buried? But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's really weird that they just sort of suddenly went right. Well, now we're the only game in town after WCW's gone under, uh, and ECW has imploded, and we bought everything. Uh, now there's we don't need to mention any other companies. Yeah, pretty much. Mm. But that's, you know, big turnaround now. Um, they not only will mention where people have wrestled in NXT, uh, they're doing deals with British promotions. Like, um, 
a good example is the move towards this UK show. All the people that they've given contracts pretty much are also working with British promotions, a lot of them with Progress. Yes, yeah. And they're still allowed to. That's, that's amazing. They are still Progress wrestlers. And they're allowed to turn up at Progress events with the WWE UK Championship and appear as the WWE UK Champion at Progress, as Tyler has done. And you know what this reminds me of? It's, it's another little... Well, it reminds me of, not currently, but a, a little wrestling promotion that I used to watch week by week uh, before I got the WWE Network. Uh, TNA. <laughs> which did used to do this. They used to have a... Now simply known as Impact Wrestling. Oh, oh let's not... the all oh, the branding and the... Oh, dear. Um, who did used to do this very thing and had a very, very close connection with a lot of indie um, promotions. Um mm. And nowadays, not so much. Uh, it really strikes me that, that Triple H has basically... He, he's worked in... I think he worked in WCW before he came to the Fed, didn't he? Uh, yes. Yeah. So he's sort of seen how... He's, he's worked in every company. Well, the, you know, the big companies. He's yep. seen how it's done. He's sort of been in each locker room and knows what it's like. So I think he's just sort of going, right, what's the best of both worlds? Yeah, and I think more than that, he's looking at Ring of Honor, he's looking at progress, he's looking at how they do things. Yeah. And it's like, right, how do we do that with our, you know, how do we do this and add the, the strength of our budget to it? Yes. And one of the best things he's done is not spend too much of that budget. Yeah. He, he spent the money on talent. He spent the money on the performance center because NXT is still their farm division. It's yeah. still where they put talent they're grooming to put on TV. Uh, it's the equivalent now of what Florida Championship and Ohio Valley were. Like, but yeah. with a weekly show on their network because they also have a new content distribution channel to fill. So it's a bit slicker than they were. It's a bit more polished, but it is still a gym at a university. It's essentially, it's, yeah, it's, it's a gym, it's a development center, but they can also use it to advertise their new talent, but also you can make the fans pay for that advertisement. Yes, absolutely. That, it's, it's a value add to the, NX, uh, to the network subscription. Like, all this time we were taking the piss out of Triple H for bashing people with hammers. It turns out he really is the cerebral <laughs> assassin. He really yeah, is he actually is guy. the smart guy. Yeah. <laughs> and there are rumours, and I don't know if these are true, I really want them to be true. Uh, well, what isn't a rumour is a lot of these smaller companies, like Ring of Honor, like Progress, have their own tape libraries, because they do their own pay-per-views, essentially, yeah. where they'll record shows and sell them. And there are rumours that one of the reasons Triple H is cozying up with these guys so close and doing deals to share talent is he wants the tape libraries. There was a Because they have this huge on-demand network mm. that currently has everything from WCW, everything from WWE, WWF, everything from ECW, because they own those. Yep. And they're like, well, what if we also had a section for Ring of Honor shows, progress wrestling shows? Oh, my God. Uh, Japanese shows. They do have a... I think they've got some sort of uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling section on the network. Yeah, that's and that's Lion one logo. of the deals where it's starting to sort of pay off this rumour. Yeah. Like, oh, they want to get 
a broader tape library. They want to be the go-to place for on-demand wrestling. I, I do remember there was a, I don't know if it was just rumor mongering or what, but I do remember the stories circulating about um, some kind of deal attempting to be struck between WWE and TNA maybe about a year and a half, two years ago. Mm. Uh, whenever, whenever it was that Billy Corgan was uh, in, in charge of them wanting to buy out TNA just to buy the library. Yeah. Um, and I know there was a, an attempt recently to do some negotiation to get some TNA footage for the Hall of Fame because Kurt Angle wanted a bunch of his TNA stuff in the uh, video package. Because he worked with them longer than he worked with the Fed and he had most of his best matches Yeah, he there. did. He had, I would say, definitely his best matches were at TNA and they were with Samoa Joe. And do you know, what, do you know what's crazy as well? This is something I've only just recently found out is that like, the Fed let um, Kurt Angle go because they were worried about, you know, his health and all those, like, we, we can't let you keep wrestling for us because, yeah. like, one wrong move and you're gonna, like, you're, you're gonna shit your spine out and, like, hold up like an accordion. Uh, Basically, yeah. So we, we're not gonna take that risk. Uh, you're on your own. Went to, went to go with TNA, and as someone did put it, like, essentially Dixie Carter just crawled out of the woodwork and went, hey, Kurt, I've got a big bag of painkillers here. Um, and then he just went on and wrestled for another, like, decade, putting on amazing matches. And well, from what I understand, Kurt left. Kurt was the one who left WWE. Yeah. They didn't push him out for health risks. But, he yeah, they didn't fight made him. that argument to get out. Right, okay. And, and they didn't fight to keep him because he was on 60 Percocet a day and he had a crippling drug addiction. Yeah. Um, and they didn't want necessarily to hang on to that. And, and TNA did. <laughs> this, is, this is the thing. I've always I always supported TNA to a point, but their wellness policy definitely needed some work. Uh, yeah, like whenever a wrestler left WWE, the you know, you know, we wish them well in their future endeavors, but you can clearly tell, all right, they would be fucked up in some kind of drug related way. Kurt Angle, Jeff Hardy, uh, Jeff Hardy is the one I'm very definitely thinking of. Like you could just go, like just look at your your little calendar and go right. Uh, three weeks from now, who's going to be debuting in the in TNA? And oh no, Jeff yep. Hardy's debuted in TNA. Oh look at that, he's no showing events and turning up completely smacked out of his gourd. <laughs> yes. However, you know, God bless Kurt. He's clean yeah. and doing a hell of a lot of work for rehabilitation charities. Yep, and he's also like cleaned up his act because he was he had a, a few sort of um, personal issues, shall we say? Yeah. Um, in that sort of downtime. Um, yeah, definitely. So yeah, more power to him. And I mean, there are uh, there will be persistent rumors until it happens or he dies. There are rumors that he will wrestle in the WWE, really, possibly at the next WrestleMania. Oh, not as a regular, but in that way that Triple H does now, where he's not a wrestler, but he's a manager type who will get in the ring and fuck you You up. Put it into a storyline, you know that exactly. Um, In the same way that Vince. Not, well, not anymore, but certainly used to. Well, Vince was never, I will fuck you up, but he would definitely get in the ring with you. Yeah. I mean, he entered the Rumble with, with Austin. That was something. Yep. That was... Well, uh, that's been a McMahon family tradition, is if you are running a wrestling company, you can't ask people to do what you're not willing to do yourself. So if you're going to be part of the family running the business, you're going to get in that ring and you're going to pay your dues. I was going to say, unless, unless you're Stephanie, and then I realised that didn't Vince have a match with against Stephanie in like 2001, 2002? 
Well, and also Stephanie wrestled uh, regularly during the Attitude oh, Era. She did. She had that feud with uh, with Trish. Over, yeah, like- and uh, wasn't she part of? Um, I want to say Ivory's uh, basically no fun brigade. No. Oh, the uh, the right to censor. Right to censor. Uh, that was it. No, I don't think Stephanie was involved. I think Ivory was the only the only woman in that. She feuded with China. Um, mm. But no, this is this, around about that time. Stephanie was feuding with Trish Stratus for reasons of Linda McMahon being drugged into a zombie-like state whilst Vince McMahon grabbed Trish Stratus by the boobs. There was a really bad time for women wrestlers, is, is basically what I'm saying. The late 90s and the early 2000s was not great. Yeah, it was really bad. Yeah. But WWE now seems to be doing these really interesting deals and really interesting programming, and Triple H seems to be the creative head behind a lot of the more interesting stuff. And one of the things I really like about NXT is a lot of the a lot of the wrestlers' gimmicks seem to be very self-directed. They seem to be giving people the room to discover their own stuff rather than imposing anything. Which is something that really worked for a lot of people. Again, back back in those days of the, the late 90s, early 2000s, when if you had a concept, they would let you run with it. They would they would sort of the the writing team would be like, all right, let's let's give this a go. Um for as much as we like if you if you're new to wrestling and you're using this as your gateway drug into the into the world, I do apologize because man, we're just sort of just good, like dropping names and, and references and all that sort of stuff that's gonna be quite impenetrable to a lot of newbies, I guess. But Yeah, probably like, a name that gets shit on quite a lot, and, and if you if you do decide to get into wrestling, you're gonna hear it come up. Uh Vince Russo. Uh Bro, bro, Vince Russo is amazing, bro. Like, if they were listening to Vince, I tell you, wrestling would be safe, bro. Are you trying to do it? Yeah, Vince Russo can fucking suck. Yeah, uh, like, but the thing is, like... What do you have to do to do a Vince Russo impression is say bro every other word? It's, it's bro, and also, the, my, the, I think the one that always said you can do the best one is for is just, I swear to God. Yep, yep, that we is another one. never going to see that whole bastard back in this ring again. Um, yeah, yeah, but the man did essentially form a, or help form a whole lot of what wrestling is today back in quote unquote the you know the attitude era the the the, the era just before that and, and also a lot of stuff in WCW for better or worse you know uh, and there was a lot of worse there was, there was a lot of worse um but I mean a lot of that sort of stuff the 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 giving everyone a storyline there is a reason for everyone to be on the show. It's not okay. Yes. These two are going to have a match because well, we've got fifteen minutes until like Roman Reigns needs to turn up and look strong. It's you know these two are going to have a match because this guy's friend was beaten up by that guy, um, so he's out for a couple of weeks because he's been injured. So this guy's going to like defend his honor and like okay, I get why these two are fighting. They have a personal reason behind it, um, and like everyone had a reason to like want to fight everyone. There was like. Friggin' Babylon Five style pin boards with names and <laughs> rubber bands and shit like that. Um, that was awesome. See, actually completely the opposite direction. One of the things I love about NXT is you'll have the storylines, but on most shows there will be at least one match that is just an exhibition between two guys who are awesome. And that's also fine. That's also great. But I, I think you need to go sort of. Uh, that's great for things like uh, NXT, Ring of Honor, and that sort of stuff. But I think if your if your focus is not on 
um, performance. So again, NXT and uh, and Ring of Honor, uh, where they are showcasing great wrestling, great characters, etc. Whereas three hours of Raw a week. Yeah, this is, is what I was talking yeah. about, the constraints of Raw and SmackDown, is they have to tell a narratively pleasing show for a TV audience that will tune in, tune out. Yeah. NXT is filmed in the same, pretty much the same arena every single week. They they do occasionally tour, but mostly it's at Full Sail University. Yeah. And the people who are watching it online are literally paying to come and watch it. So they can rely on the audience being familiar with the roster. And if they say, here's Cassius Ono against Andre Cien Omos, admittedly that one had a bit of a storyline, but it kind of was a paper-thin tissue excuse. Let's <laughs> want to watch these uh, big horses fight. It was like, the audience knows who these two people are and are like, yeah, let's put these two in a ring. That sounds great. You don't necessarily need a lot of build-up. Sometimes that's all you need. Sometimes. Better example, actually. They had um, uh, Lacey Evans versus Sonya Deville, and there was literally no storyline reason for it. It, it. It's just, they're two great women in the women's division who haven't had a match in a while. Let's see what they do against each other. Who's, who's the better one? Yeah. I think, again, it's fine for NXT, but for, say, uh, a pay-per-view, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, you don't want to have... Like, for the uh, NXT, have a pay-per-view coming up, for example, but, and there's a lot of storyline going into they that. They do the takeovers, um, don't they? Yes, which is basically when uh, WWE have a pay-per-view in a town, NXT will do a pay-per-view in that town the day before. Because why not? You're already bringing a lot of wrestling fans to the area. Yep. So why not give them a chance to spend more money? Very smart. Very, very smart. Yeah. Uh, very, very cool idea, and it means that the people you're training up to go up to this main roster, the the guys in the farm division, get that pay-per-view experience without actually having to do a WWE pay-per-view, which is a bit scary. Or get a pay-per-view paycheck. Or get, I mean, it is a bigger paycheck than a regular NXT appearance, yeah. but it's not, a, it's not a WrestleMania paycheck, even if it's the WrestleMania weekend takeover. But, you know, one day this could be you. Yes. One day you two but like make Roman looks wrong. The Chicago takeover, for example, you've got the card is Roderick Strong versus Eric Young. Oh, Eric. Uh, and the storyline going into that isn't huge. It's just literally that Sanity, Eric Young's stable, his group of guys that he runs with, have been beating up Roderick Strong for a while. And he's had enough and he's like, you know, give me Eric Young at TakeOver. I want to take him down. So it's the classic face versus bully heels. Yeah, it's 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 going to come to a head. Yeah. You've got Tyler Bate versus Pete Dunne, speaking of British wrestling. Uh, it's a rematch of the WWE Championship Tournament Final from last year. Uh, that should be great. Yeah, because those are two fantastic lads. Uh, you've got the Authors of Pain. A, uh, a tag a team game. which is like 600 and something pounds of monster. <laughs> uh, are you not familiar with the Authors of Pain? I, I, I'm not. Uh, wait, hang on. Are they the guys that have Paul Ellering as their manager? Yes, they are. I was just going to say, managed by Paul Ellering. Um, so, again, for, for wrestling like noobs to like learn stuff, Paul Ellering is... He's an odd little biscuit. Um, yep, he managed a couple of tag teams that 
you'll possibly have heard of, even if you've only very vaguely followed wrestling at any point, uh, the Road Warriors and the Legion of Doom. Who are... This- and you were saying the Authors of Pain was a silly name. Yeah, fair point. <laughs> <laughs> but he has had some very weird promos throughout the years. Um, but he has an amazing look. Like, that's one of those things where like, you look at that guy and you go, I want to be him when I grow up. <laughs> like the, the t-shirt and the big braces and the handlebar tash and the aviator sunglasses and the shaved head. It's like, Jesus, you look awesome. Well, these days he's changed it up a bit. Oh, he's okay. now leather jacket, black jeans, still the shaved head. Yeah. Um, but yeah, his his tag team, Akam and Rezar, the authors of Pain, are these 600-pound tactical gear-wearing monsters who crushed like the face favorites DIY uh, Johnny Gargano, aka Johnny Wrestling, and Tommaso Ciampa, um, aka Psycho Killer. Uh, yeah, he's a face. Uh, okay. Who are they're, they're smaller guys? They're the kind of guys you'd see, uh, like in Ring of Honor, doing the highly athletic stuff. Yeah. Um, and they're they hugely popular because they have great indie cred behind them, and the NXT crowd are the kind of wrestling fans who you know know people's indie backgrounds and stuff. And they were the champions. They lost it to the authors, authors of Pain and haven't really had a legitimate chance at a rematch since. And it's been ages. And so this is their chance finally to try and get some revenge on the Authors of Pain. And Elring's like, you know, <laughs> they're my monsters. How are you going to stop them? Uh, and the latest twist in that story is when William Regal came out and said, well, Paul, don't you want to know the stipulation for the match? It's a ladder match. <laughs> uh, big monsters in a ladder match. Yeah, so that's got a lot of story behind it. The women's championship match has the longest storyline in NXT history behind it, huh. which is that Oscar is still champion. How long has she been champion? It's measurably over a year. Okay. So Oscar, a woman who wrestled in Japan as Kana, is spectacular she is amazing uh there's only one reason she hasn't been promoted to tv yet and it's either the fact that they don't think her english is ready Mm. which is legitimate or just that she can't be beaten so she's still champion and therefore can't move up um she has now legitimately successfully defended her championship um oh sorry she has legitimately gone without being pinned or submitting in as many matches as WCW claimed Goldberg had. Huh. And they, they like, bunks that down. And they lied. Yeah, they, they, they lied a lot. Like, week by week. <laughs> but she has legitimately beaten it, which means she has the longest winning streak in professional wrestling that I'm aware of. Huh. And so her storyline... Basically, at first, she was pretty much a face. You know, she was a fan favorite. She was doing amazing stuff. Uh, But because she's been champion for over a year, they've had to shake it up to make it more interesting. And basically, she started picking up this cocky attitude of, there's no one in this company that can beat me. I mean, is it necessarily necessarily a cocky attitude when you have the evidence to back it up? (laughs) There are still people she hasn't faced. Oh, okay. Because there are new people coming in all the time because it's NXT. Yep. Um, so she's in that. She started building up this whole no one is ready for Oscar, no one can beat me, there's no challenge here storyline. 
Uh, and then they started building up Ember Moon, who had a really long undefeated streak of her own. And they faced each other and she beat Ember Moon, uh, which, you know, surprising everyone. Everyone was like, oh, they're going to hand it over to the next big monster of the women's division and send Oscar to TV. And they didn't. So now she was booked in a fatal four-way for this one against three opponents. Uh, Nikki Cross of Sanity, the Glaswegian psycho who is amazing. Yep. Uh, Ruby Riot, who is a relatively new arrival to NXT. But remember what I said about NXT crowds being very smart to people's backgrounds? Yep. She's Heidi Lovelace. She has been around. You know, she's a, a well-known indie wrestler and well-liked. And very good. And Ember Moon was booked to appear because it was all set up. They had a triple threat for the number one contendership. And Oscar, being the new cocky heel Oscar, came down. Oh, it wasn't even a triple threat. It was a battle royal, but it come down to those three. Yeah. To be more precise. Then Oscar came out and just beat the shit out of all three of them. Uh, and so William Regal, who runs NXT, said, okay, you can face all three of them then. We'll make it a fatal four-way. But Ember Moon will not be competing uh, due to injury, which might be legitimate, to be honest. Uh, She did look pretty badly hurt after that match. Uh, Yeah, so that would be unfortunate. But, you know, the story is the, the unbeatable Empress of Tomorrow now going up against you know, two at once to see if she can still retain against a psychopath and a really, really strong Ruby Riot who she's never faced. Uh, it's That should be good. And then you've got, finally, Bobby Roode versus Hideo Itame. And you don't need a storyline for the championship. The, the storyline is Hideo Itame has beaten enough people and literally won a number one contenders match to earn his shot. I want that. And to Hideo talk. Itame has been... Yeah, yeah. it's I won that title, you have that title. But I mean, Hideo has a little storyline of his own. He debuted three years ago and was a big signing at the time. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, declared, I'm here for the championship and quite quickly picked up a very bad injury. He went off for shoulder surgery, spent a long time recuperating, came back, and the storyline was, yeah, yeah, we know you were a big deal when you debuted, but hey, guess what? Things have changed around here. You're at the back of the line, son. And so he's been fighting his way back up to contendership, and now it's like three years later, he finally gets an opportunity to make good on his uh, promise. And so he's got his own storyline going into it. Yeah. So it should be a great show. He's hoping anyway. But yeah, I, we, I, WrestleMania 33, did you have any thoughts? We might as well talk about it. It's the big wrestling event of the year. Um, uh, so I think everything about WrestleMania 33 just kind of got eclipsed at the end for me. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's my wrestling father figure. <laughs> like, when I first got into wrestling, like that, I was there for The Undertaker. And and now, oh, like if I was if I was hurt at when the streak ended, this was just oh. Even though I knew yeah. it was gonna happen, I mean, 
Yes, it was, it was fairly obvious it was going to happen. So in the main event of WrestleMania, for people who aren't familiar, The Undertaker, who is a wrestling legend, like I, I almost feel like I can confidently say even our fans who've never watched wrestling will know who The Undertaker is. Yeah. I think that's fair to say. You know, the man has been wrestling very nearly as long as I've been alive. He debuted in 84. I was four. Wow. And he's still wrestling. Uh, but not for much longer, I suspect. Well, yeah. Has he had a match since? Uh, since his match at WrestleMania? Yeah. Not that I'm aware, but then he hasn't really been doing anything apart from turning up once a year for WrestleMania for a while he, now. He is like Wrestle Santa. Yeah, that's kind of his deal, is like, if it's not a huge match, why turn up? Yeah. You know? It's <laughs> uh, but yeah, he got beaten uh, fairly brutally uh, by Roman Reigns in a no-holds-barred match, which is basically wrestling parlance for cheating is okay, let's hit each other with chairs and bells and everything. Yep. In fairness, Roman Reigns got the crap kicked out of him as well. That That is also true. By Braun Strowman. <laughs> but, you know, everyone's got to take... Who wasn't in the match. Everyone's got to take their lumps from Brody the Strowman. Yep, that's very true. Um... The the notable thing about that match for me wasn't just that it's it was clearly a bit of a goodbye to Taker. Uh it was the fact that Jim Ross was calling it. Yeah. Yeah. Um which which kind of has a really, really harsh background in that he uh lost his wife in a car accident shortly beforehand. Really? Yeah. Very shortly beforehand. I honestly didn't know uh, that. Days. Days before. What the fuck is it with the universe throwing this shit at Jim Ross? Because I know, like, right? I remember that that UK show he did where, like, oh, was it was it Capital Carnage or Mayhem in Manchester? It was one of those two back in the late nineties, and like everyone was saying, he sounded really distracted on on the phone uh, on the on the uh, commentary. And yeah, it turned out that like his mother had passed away whilst he was on the plane mm. over to the UK. And it's like yeah. holy shit. Who who carries on and does a show in that situation? I know, right? Um, well, Jim Ross does. Yeah. And the reason is, like, he has been such a part of wrestling. He is the voice of professional wrestling. Yeah. To several generations of fans. And as such, like, he is beloved in that company. Everybody loves yeah. him. So it's it's a happy place for him. And, you know, you throw yourself into your work, especially if your work is surrounding yourself by dozens of people actually working directly with you who adore you in front of thousands of people who adore you. You know, that's that's not a bad thing to throw yourself into. Yeah. And it's why Jim Ross is actually coming back, not to do Raw or SmackDown, but apparently to be the voice of the UK Championship show on NXT. Because there's no travel involved, and as he has said, quite tragically, he retired to spend more time with his wife. That's no longer a factor. Yeah. That, so um... he doesn't want to retire to spend a lot of time in an empty house that reminds him of her. 
So one of the most bittersweet announcements in wrestling in recent years, that is Jim Ross's return to the microphone. Hmm. That's going to be like, it's like, it's like well, that's going to be really nice. And then like the situation in it, just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's harsh. And like, you know, all my love goes out to Jim Ross the guy is a legend and and I hope it brings him some comfort and some peace to do it, uh, because he deserves it. Absolutely. Yeah, there was a whole rest of a show at WrestleMania, and honestly, I think it was one of the best they've done in years. It, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of well, like, the the main events and whatnot at WrestleManias recently. Um, well, most of them involve Triple H. That is true. Yes. <laughs> um, I can't remember 32 30, wait this was 32 wasn't it no uh, this was 33 was it yeah this was uh, Wrestlemania 33 oh okay fair enough what was 32 what happened in 32 uh, 32 was oh that's a very good question I can look it up quite trivially Yay. though Give me a moment to click on a link. So WrestleMania 32's main event was, and I'm not just talking about main events, but the whole card, uh, Roman Reigns, Triple H. Ah. Right. Yep. And 31 was... Lesnar Taker? Main event of 31 was... Roman Reigns and Lesnar. Oh God, yes, yeah, that's when Seth cashed in the um... and Seth. Yeah, yep. of course. Which was actually quite a good finish. Oh, is the best finish we could hope for, really. Thirty was Daniel Bryan, Batista, and Orton, and and so we go on. Yeah. Now I remember thirty. That was the other traumatic one. <laughs> yes, but thirty-three. Like I, I think they did an incredibly good job. Yeah. I. Yeah, like Kevin Owens and Chris Jericho had been working a very long program together and they're just, they've got such amazing chemistry as allies or opponents and their match just was great. Had some amazing, amazing storyline going into it as well. Oh yeah. Festival of Friendship. Was one of my favourite spots in wrestling TV for years. It had an inevitability about it. (laughs) But why is my name on the list? (laughs) AJ Styles and Shane McMahon was, was fantastic. That was so much better than it had any right to be. I know. Like, Shane, as we've mentioned before, the boss's son. Like, he is not a pro wrestler. That's not his job. And AJ Styles, uh, people can go back and forth on... He's had his ups and his downs, sure, but he's one of the best in the ring. And, yeah, like... Not the best, but he is definitely one of the best in the ring. And he was fighting the boss's son. And somehow those guys tore down the house. It was amazing. My only gripe with it is that I, I don't know if they were trying to downplay uh, AJ Styles, because surely the guy is one of the one of the best wrestlers in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Like when he debuted for the WWE, I really liked that they did a storyline. Um, of him feuding with Cena because the guys had basically debuted at the same time and been wrestling for as long as each other and won 
similar accolades, but had never been in the same company, so they had never faced each yeah. other. And I thought that was a great storyline. So that's good. But it's just like, I think they kind of overplayed how good Shane is. I get Shane is, he's, he's good for a non-wrestler, but there's good for a non-wrestler going up against potentially the best wrestler in the world. Yeah, but the thing about Shane and Mac is you've got to remember this is a guy who's been in the ring with Taker. Yeah. And and come close to winning. This is a guy who's been in the ring with Big Show and come close to winning. The, Shane's thing, his whole gimmick is he comes surprisingly close to beating the best wrestlers in the world, but never quite gets it done. Yeah. That's that's not a that's not a bad streak, I guess. Not for being the son of the yeah. boss. You know, that's a pretty good game. And, and his thing of what is Shane gonna jump off today? When I saw that they had a <laughs> ring built above the ring, I was like, oh I God, know, no, I thought the same thing. No, Shane, no. <laughs> Don't do the thing. Yeah, everyone was expecting the thing. Yeah. But luckily that didn't happen. Um uh, the women's match was oh the first, the first of the women's, women's match, matches, yeah. sorry, was great because Bailey, Charlotte, and Sasha, all phenomenally talented. And I'm loving the storyline of Bailey being the fan who achieved her dream. Um, although they need to stop playing her as the underdog now that she's a champion who has defended her championship in really harsh circumstances. Yep. <laughs> I, I can't buy her as the lovable underdog anymore. <laughs> she's the champ. Um, but I really liked what they did. I was so worried about this match because Nia Jax for people who don't follow wrestling, is she's she's big. Yeah. She's tall, she's broad, she's strong, she's powerful. She's a monster, basically. Okay, she she uh she's Samoan, isn't she? Yeah. Yeah, she's part of the She clan. is part of the Illinois. She is part of the extended yeah. family, yeah. Um, which means uh for people who don't know what we're referencing, she is related to The Rock and every other Samoan wrestler you can there's, think there's of, a, apart from Samoa Joe. Yeah, that's really weird. Like, it, it, yeah. I remember someone talking about that. Like, what do you reckon the members of the Anoa'i and Mayavia families like do when the conversation comes to Samoa Joe? Do they just get like really awkward and try and change the subject? <laughs> uh, but she's also not on the level of Bailey, Charlotte, and Sasha as an in-ring performer. She does She does something different. Um, yes, but- and she's also... I think they put her on TV a little too quickly. Okay. I think she's good, but I don't think she was ready for prime time. Her and equally... Yeah. yeah. Equally, I thought she might be a little too soon to go to WrestleMania. Like, some of her work has been a bit genuinely dangerous. Right, okay. Uh, she's she's risked injuring Charlotte more than once that I've seen. And so I was like, oh, putting her on, in a WrestleMania match is a risk. But they did exactly the right thing with it. They had the other three women immediately form this unlikely alliance to take her out quickly. Yeah. And it took all three of them to do it. So it's great. You don't run the risk of her blowing up, botching a spot, or just not shining compared to the other three Mm. by taking her out quickly, but by making it a triple team effort, you make her look strong. She stays strong going out first because literally all three women lay on top of her at the same time to pin her. Like how, how else are you going to just get across? Okay. She is powerful. Yep. 
Um, yeah. Well, as as Stone Cold Steve Austin said, the way you should have done it is have her kick out, but just after the three count. Oh, he said it's it's the kick out on on zero. It used to be a thing. It's not a thing anymore. Where you have someone and and the audience knows. Oh, they were just moment, they were fractions of a second away from staying alive in that match. Wow. Yeah. And that's how they could have kept Nia looking even stronger. But it was still like the best way to have her involved in that match. And then just have it as a showcase between three of the best in the business. Yeah. And then immediately all of their thunder was stolen in the next match. Well, we'll follow that one. Tag championships. Yeah. Now, this is this is something that's going to be really interesting because I think I'm like the only person in the world that hates the Hardys. You hate the Hardys? I hate the Hardys. You're not allowed to hate the Hardys. I know. I know. <laughs> it's, it's literally a law. Right. Okay, so, full disclosure, I used to love TNA. I know I've mentioned this before, but it, 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 <laughs> it, it plays into this, this conversation, right? Okay, I can see how it would, yeah. Jeff Hardy was an absolute piece of shit in TNA when he first turned up. Or rather, when he turned up, went away, and turned up again. Uh, Agreed. He he would do things like no-show events, and when people gave him shit yeah. about it, he would just tap the bit of the poster that says, card subject to change. He would turn up to events, like, the the main, their big pay-per-view, uh, Bound for Glory, their main pay-per-view in the main event against Sting, one of the, the, the industry's biggest stars and most most respected people and he turned up to that show completely smacked out of his gourd no idea where the fuck he was like he was uh, just a piece of shit when he was in tna he went away yeah, he got i completely clean. agree with you there yeah. um i mean in fairness he had drug problems in fairness his house burnt down yeah he went through some shit um I, I will I will agree with you. I'm not a fan of Jeff Hardy. Yeah. I am a huge mark for the Hardy Boys. The Hardy Boys as they were in, in the two thousand in like nineteen ninety-nine, two thousand, definitely. Um and that's why I had a bit of nostalgia when I first started watching TNA, like, oh it's Jeff, yay! And then watching it go, oh God. And right. This is this is again where I'm gonna like the rest the the, the non wrestling fans are gonna be like I don't get it the, the the wrestling fans are gonna crucify me I fucking hate broken Matt Hardy right I'm actually going to jump on a train okay come round your house and delete you right okay <laughs> <laughs> broken Matt Hardy is one of my favorite gimmicks. For I years. know, and so many people love it, and I don't know why. I I've just always right. Matt Hardy to me can almost do no wrong. Like the guy has so much charisma. Yeah. Um, and broken Matt Hardy is Matt Hardy out Nick Caging Nick Cage. <laughs> That's such and a I idea. fucking love it. It's so good. And the way he doubles down on it, like this is actually one of the reasons he left WWE is um, Matt wanted to evolve the brand a little bit. Like you'll remember he had a few experiments with it with V1 and stuff. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Matt Hardy V uh, version 1.0 and yeah. Yeah. 
And and it didn't go down great. Like Steph didn't want him to, and Steph was head of creative at the time. And Steph was like, "The Hardy Boys are over. Stick with the Hardy Boys. Do what you do well, and don't do anything else." Yep. That's one of the things that drove the Hardy Boys out. And in TNA, eventually they had the freedom to do the broken Matt Hardy brother Nero final deletion build up and. It was everything I've ever wanted from Matt Hardy. It was him going completely off the leash uh, into, yeah, as I said, out Nick Caging Nick Cage, going into this beautiful, bizarre, surrealist. Like, it kind of makes what the WWE do with Bray Wyatt look so weak because Bray Wyatt's <laughs> doing the same thing without his tongue in his cheek. Yeah, he's sort of uh, seriousness. Yeah, and I want them. My ideal is that now that the Hardy Boys are in WWE, yeah. Bray Wyatt, for those who aren't aware, is this beefy, bearded, Appalachian Mountain Man mystic guy. And I, I admit, I love, I love Bray Wyatt's gimmick, or I love it when oh, he first. Started. I fucking yeah. love it. Yeah, I fucking, lo- I think mm. it's, it's had some down moments recently. It has, we'll like the stuff break- he's been doing with Randy Orton yeah. in WrestleMania. We'll get to it. I think has been overwrought and overdone, and they're taking it too far, and it's breaking the gimmick. Yeah, but. If they can keep him as he was, just in the sinister, creepy Sister Abigail mode, and have Matt Hardy do the broken Matt Hardy journey on WWE and feud with Bray Wyatt, (laughs) I would be a happy, happy person. Yep. (laughs) I mean, as much as I hate broken Matt Hardy, it's not boring. No, no, it's, he's not. It's interesting to watch. <laughs> so yeah, this this match for the uninitiated, it was originally a triple uh, threat match between yep. Enzo and Big Cass, who I adore. Yep. Enzo Amore might be the best guy on the microphone in the company. He can certainly get a crowd going as well. Oh yeah. And Big Cass is seven feet tall. And, and you, can't, you teach can't teach that. Yeah. Also, I did love that someone reviewed them and saying, and at least, you know, they did manage to do a perfect impression of how long it takes the average wrestler to climb a ladder. <laughs> Get a climber wrong. One, how you doing? <laughs> Two, how you doing? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Cesaro and Sheamus, who are a weird tag team. They shouldn't work, but they do. They were just thrown together at random, weren't they? Not quite at random okay like when they were put together as a tag team they were feuding right because they each thought they were the best yeah they had the, the best <laughs> of 12 and they got the into the best of seven yeah and they'd had six of them three each and then they got paired up on the grounds that hey you're clearly as good as each other you're probably better to us together than apart. So they're that kind of uneasy alliance. Will they turn on each other? They could at any moment. Yeah. Um, and Gallows and Anderson, uh, who are, uh, well, part of the Bullet Club. Yeah. They're the only ones the club. the name. Yeah. The club, as they are now in WWE, because they don't have the rights to Bullet Club. And there are plenty of people using the name Bullet Club. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just not in WWE, because they don't have the rights to it. Yep. But the Bullet Club is alive and well. Um, now, WrestleMania was being hosted by The New Day, a three-person tag team. Now, if you don't watch wrestling, that does make sense. It's the all about the Freebird rules. Yep. But they were, they're were they a hugely popular fan favorite tag team. 
who have a habit of messing around and doing, you know, spots and getting a laugh and doing the unexpected. And being massive so nerds. And being massive nerds, yes. Like, uh, uh, Xavier Woods playing the Final Fantasy um, victory jingle on his trombone was amazing. Indeed. Or indeed them coming down to the ring in Dragon Ball cosplay. Yep, or this year coming out as uh, classic Final Fantasy classes. Yep. With a chocobo uh, and a so, ball on their thing, yeah. So when they came out at the start of the match and said it's now a four-way tag team championship, of course the fans go wild because they think the New Day are going to be involved. And that's when the Hardy Boys music hit. The classic, original Hardy Boys music and out come Matt and Jeff and... You might not have been happy, but I marked the fuck out. And you know what? I'm. I'm. You know what? Look at me. Look at me being all mature and whatnot, and 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 not making a joke about Xavier Woods not just being happy with it being a three way. <laughs> oh dear. We won't go oh, into that. You had to go there. I'm, well, they didn't mention anything about it. like they 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 had him still host WrestleMania. They did. Yeah, they did, which was amazing. I honestly thought that he was going to be like gone because they like this the biggest hint of of uh, uh, scandal these days. And mm. yeah, I'm glad they didn't because like I love I love Xavier Woods. He's amazing. But oh yeah, 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 I'm glad they didn't as well. But I I don't know whether it was just that he had a WrestleMania booking. I I, I don't watch Raw or SmackDown. I don't know how much he's done since. Yep. <laughs> Even the John Cena and Nikki Bella versus Miz and Maurice match was good at WrestleMania. Yeah, I mean the match was yeah, it was alright, but it was it was there for the ending. Yeah, I mean it was a classic bit of storytelling. Yeah. Like the the run up to that one with Miz and Maurice doing the piss take of John and Nikki on Total Divas and all of that was just so good. Yeah. And the match was good. Like I have to It wasn't terrible. It, it wasn't it wasn't bad. It was it was it was not not yeah, good. It's been in the last few months. I've had to completely revise my opinion on the Miz. From a from a worker standpoint, from a from a wrestling standpoint, or from a from a wrestling standpoint, worker standpoint, because when he first debuted, he was pretty awful in every regard. Agreed. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I, I had a period where I wasn't watching a lot of wrestling, and I came back, and he suddenly, you know, in the the mid card championship kind of division, intercontinental championship kind of picture, and I'm like, really, the Miz? <laughs> and then the more I watched him work with Dean Ambrose in the ring, the more I saw him work with Daniel Bryan on the mic, the more I saw him work with Cena. In both situations, the more I've gone, oh, shit, you got good. Like, fair play. You stuck with this business and you got good. He is fantastic on the microphone. He's a great heel and he's a really good worker. Hmm. He's surprisingly one of my favorite guys on the roster now. Which I never expected. Wow, that's, that's quite the turnaround. Yeah. It is. He's fantastic. But, I mean, you know, he's been doing it for a decade or more, and he's clearly learned a few things. Yeah. And more power to him. Absolutely. Um, and speaking of getting better, we're going to be talking about Alexa Bliss later. Hooray! 
who, oh God, I love Alexa Bliss. But uh, the next match after that was Seth Rollins and Triple H, which I thought was probably the weakest match at this WrestleMania. It, I mean, yeah, uh, I didn't really care much for the storyline going into it. So, yeah. And when you've got the storyline, it, it's one they've done before. Hit, the face has an injury and there are no rules. So the heel can just hammer on the injury. That's never a fun match. Yeah. And also, I mean, it's a great way to build heat on the heels, sure, but. If the heel loses. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but also, it's an unsanctioned match. Why yep. is there a referee? I know, right? <laughs> I, I, I honestly thought wrestling had moved away from trying to use unsanctioned matches as storyline. Since WCW did uh, the oh, which pay per view was it they did that was all unsanctioned matches, the uncensored. Oh, I cannot remember. Every match was an unsanctioned match, and it's yeah. like, and our opening thing is the United States Championship. Like, how are you having a title match if it's unsanctioned? <laughs> well, in this case, they were stressing that unsanctioned uh, literally meant that uh, the rules of wrestling were not in effect. And so it's, your so it's insurance an wouldn't cover any injury. But wrestlers don't get health insurance anyway. Like for being well, the I company mean, doesn't provide it for them. There's no liability, right? Okay. Basically, they were saying it was a legal thing. There was no liability because you know there's normally the waiver and everything. Yeah. No liability. Triple H can do whatever he wants to Seth. But we know, like, fans are not stupid enough to believe that in a sort of a kayfabe way, even like, uh, you know, getting rid of, what's the word, uh, suspending disbelief. So it's just a no DQ match. Yeah, basically. I mean, it, let's face it, this is WWE. They have, what, eight different names for a no DQ match? Oh, what, no DQ, Street Fight, uh, False Count Extreme Anywhere, rules. Extreme Rules. I was going to say Monster Yeah, Ball, basically. But, yeah. Uh, but anyway, that was the weakest match. the The premise was bad. the The stipulation was bad. The storyline was bad, and the action was pretty bad. Yeah, it was sort of like as someone. Did, I, I I honestly didn't think it was that bad until so again watching a little review thing of it, and they were talking about the fact that like uh, Seth Rollins constantly like doing maneuvers that would that would hurt his own knee. Yeah, he had the knee injury, and they were like, they were like yeah. I was watching this whole show, going, "Oh, this is actually really smart." Because at any minute now, Seth's gonna like fall down on that knee, and he's gonna juke uh, Triple H. He's gonna like trick him, and he's gonna spring up and get him. And it's like, oh look, he's fallen over. No, no, Triple H, no hammering on him. Okay, he's actually playing up the injury. He's not. He's not trying to outsmart him. That just that just means he's like got a broken knee, and he just keeps fucking jumping onto it. He's stupid. Yeah. <laughs> yep, basically. Um, and followed by Randy Orton and Bray Wyatt, which was a great match. But this is what I was talking about earlier with the Bray Wyatt gimmick being taken a little bit too far. Yeah. Because his whole thing is the spooky mystic bullshit. And when he does and promos, it's really good. When he does promos, he's so good at conveying this creepy air of menace. That's fantastic. Because you get all the right when he does, and you get all the right sort of sound levels because he's very quiet. And, then, and just his voice. He has such a great way of speaking. It's amazing. It, it is exactly what you imagine when you're like creepy hillbilly uh shaman kind of thing it's it's amazing and even in the ring 
most of the time. When he does the Sister Abigail stuff, when he does the spider walking stuff where he's, you know, flipped up in a reverse arch with yeah. his head hanging down, scuttling towards you, he's really creepy and menacing. Yeah. But in this match, and, for some reason. And again, I've got to say with with, with Bray Wyatt, again, I love him, but has he like does he win matches? I don't watch it week to week. I just watch the pay-per-views. Does he win matches? Yes. Uh, I think we've actually had this conversation on the show before. There was a period where he was uh, being protected right? Um, because he was injured, but he's such a big character and he can do so much just with presentation and voice and performance that they were protecting him physically by having safe, quick matches. Yeah. Um, to keep him on TV and not risk any exacerbation of the injury. So he did go through a period of not really winning anything, but he has been winning whilst healthy. I mean, he went into that match as the champion. Yeah, that's a good point. So he's clearly been beating people. Yeah, he does. Because <laughs> I just, yeah, I remember him having that thing where he would just turn up, give a promo where he says, I'm going to eat the world, and then would lose clean. Yeah, that was when he was injured. Yeah. Um, but what they did in this match was the the thing where suddenly the lights would go out and the ring canvas had worms projected onto it, writhing around. Why? And, and Randy Orton is freaking out. Why? Now, speaking, as you were earlier, about how the audience is not going to fall for this in a kayfabe way, yeah. kayfabe being that sort of acceptance of the obviously fake parts of wrestling as real. Yeah. Suspension of disbelief is what we're talking about. It used to be lying, it's now suspension of disbelief. Um, in that kayfabe sense, Randy Orton is a third-generation wrestler who's been in this company a long time. He knows there's a production truck. <laughs> So when the lights go out and a projection appears on the canvas, Randy Orton is not going to believe it is magic. He is going to believe someone pressed a button in the production truck. Uh, Why is he freaking the fuck out? Bring has access to a projector. Run! So they're kind of trying to sell this as a magic trick. And I'm like, that doesn't work. It's I, stupid. It's, it's so dumb. stupid. And it, it makes Bray not creepy. It makes him stupid. It makes him stupid, which is not what you want to do with Bray Wyatt. Again, and go back, they've... go back and rewatch that match and list because it happens three fucking times. It's what worms, cockroaches. I forget what the third one is. I forget as well. Flies, but yeah, it happened three times. Yeah. Watch, watch it, and watch the crowd's reaction each time. Listen to the crowd's reaction each time. The first time they're like, "Oh, what the fuck just happened?" The second time they're like, "Oh." And then the third time, you can hear them laughing. Yeah, because like, it's you sh- dumb. You shouldn't be able to hear the crowd laughing if you're doing this bit. No, 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 you shouldn't. It was poor. Which is a shame, because I really like Bray Wyatt, and I hate to see his gimmick get weakened like that. So do I, and I like, I, I'm glad that a lot of people do like him, because that is a fucking career-killing gimmick right there. <laughs> like, can you imagine if they had? I was about to say, can you imagine if they had the Undertaker do that? And then I remembered that the Undertaker summoned lightning, and yep. yeah, never mind. <laughs> uh, then we had Brock Lesnar and Goldberg, which was now on paper. If if you had just told me what this match was going to be, 
I would have said, well, that sounds like the most boring piece of shit ever. It's literally just, okay, so we're going to put Brock Lesnar and Goldberg in a ring, and they both have an infinite number of finishers backed up, and they're both just going to hammer L1 until the match is over. <laughs> right? Yeah, basically. That just sounds stupid. They're all just going to do that. They're just going to keep doing their super move to each other over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And we're like, well, that's going to be really boring. And then you watch it, and it's basically like watching a fucking kaiju movie. It's just watching them run around destroying cardboard Tokyo. <laughs> it, it was amazing. It was far better, I think, than the booking had any right to yeah. be. Uh, Rock's been a lot better lately. Like he again had health issues and has come back yeah. from them. Um, but neither Brock nor Goldberg have the cardio to go. No, uh, there's a reason this was by far the shortest match on the card, but still longer um, than any other Goldberg match. But still longer than any other Goldberg I, match. I and love the kayfabe news head article that was uh, Goldberg seriously regrets signing a pay by the hour contract. <laughs> He's only yes, because he's done about 10 minutes since he <laughs> debuted with WWE this year. Yep. Um, but then we had the other women's match. Which I love because I love Naomi. Yes, I love Naomi. She's been underrated for a really long time. And I had this huge concern, like, before the current women's res uh, revolution, as they're calling yep. it, when suddenly you've got Sasha, Charlotte, Becky, uh, you've got Alexa, who has been amazing. You've got all this talent. And I was like, well, Naomi was like the last good wrestler they had pre-revolution. Well, uh, Natalia's not bad. I was going to say, what, do they still have? Or... That they still have. Okay, yeah, I was going to say, because you've still got Paige it's, rolling around, but not, not yeah, there anymore. You don't. Yeah. Um, and, and she, right, she came up from NXT, so I consider her part of the revolution. Oh, okay, fair enough, fair enough. She, she was probably, if you look at the women's revolution as what kicked off with the four horsewomen, right. Paige was the fuse. Right. And who else was there? AJ Lee? AJ Lee, fantastic, but she left. Yeah, because she's not around. I, don't, I forget what she's doing now. Because she was with well, Daniel Bryan, she... or...? No, no, no. Oh, CM Punk. Ah, okay. Which is why she left. Gotcha, okay. Because CM Punk and WWE had a massive falling out. Yeah. And AJ Lee took his side, and I cannot blame her for that. Yep. No, Daniel Bryan was with Brie Bella. Right. No, I mean, in storyline... Uh... But again, I might be thinking of like maybe five, six years ago. Oh, maybe. But I mean, that, in storyline, Daniel Bryan and Brie Bella are together and in real life yeah. because they're, this is the reality era where they use a lot of the real life stuff to inform the storyline, which has led to my favorite bit between Miz and Daniel Bryan. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if you're aware of that bit. Uh, oh, yes. Where they sort of the feud that was a little bit real. Yeah, because um, Daniel Bryan, of course, retired from in-ring performance uh, for concussion risk. Yeah. Um, and in in an interview with Daniel Bryan, Miz called him a coward for doing it. <laughs> uh, pointed out that he's still there in the ring. He's still wrestling. And while he's doing it, doing Daniel Bryan's moves better than Daniel Bryan ever did. Yeah. Um, and I that was an amazing piece of real-world storyline because Daniel Bryan is now Miz's general manager. And uh, when Cena w was put past Miz for a championship opportunity, 
uh, Miz is the one saying, weren't, weren't you the guy who was saying that there was no meritocracy in the WWE and it was all favoritism and nepotism? Uh, weren't, weren't you the guy who thought he was being overlooked for people that were sort of company men? And isn't John Cena with Nikki Bella, who is Bree's sister, making him basically your brother-in-law? Ooh. Yeah, it was a really good bit of work between the two of them. Um, but Naomi, like I said, was like one of the last pre-revolution women they still had on the roster who was good. I was like, well, she's just going to get overlooked now. So to see her win her championship in her hometown uh, was just beautiful. Yeah, that was beautiful. Even if she had to take it off of Alexa Bliss, who is my favorite woman (laughs) in the WWE right now. Fair enough. I mean, she's no Naomi. The thing... The thing about Alexa Bliss, I've been watching her since she started on NXT. Yeah. When she started on NXT, when she first started, she came out in like fairly plain blue wrestling gear, little bit cheerleadery, blonde hair, smile, face. She's the the classic WWE pretty girl face wrestler. Yeah. With a nothing character, and to be honest, not a brilliant in ring. Uh, talent. Um, she spent some time as a manager whilst she got good. Uh, now, I have the same respect for Alexa Bliss as I do for Trish Stratus, who also came in based on her looks. Yeah. And also the fact she, she was, was a, a look at Lita. Hmm? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But she looked at like Lita and uh, some of the other women there at the time and were like, I have to step my game the fuck up and worked like a demon to get good. And Alexa Bliss has done the same thing. She's also taken on a heel persona that is my favorite heel in the WWE right now. She is amazing. If you watch some of her matches, uh, there's so much performance to her heel nature. Like she was in a triple threat uh, with... I cannot remember who the other face was, but Nia Jax was the big threat in it. And Alexa rolled out of the ring immediately to say, hey, Nia, why don't you beat the shit out of possibly Carmella? And then whilst Nia was taking her time beating up the other girl, Alexa starts climbing up the turnbuckle behind Nia Jax, setting up for a big drop kick or something. Naya turns around and spots her, and Alexa literally holds up both hands in surrender, shakes her head, and then starts climbing back down the turnbuckle. <laughs> and it was, it was a sight to behold. It was beautiful. I was laughing. Um, and there's uh, stuff she's been doing recently in the ring, uh, interacting with referees. That's brilliant. Like she does the classic thing where she's uh, stood on. Uh, the other girl's hair and pulling it upwards. You, you know, the classic Healy move that a lot of women's wrestlers do. And the ref comes over and goes, you stood on her hair to admonish her. And she just looks at the ref and goes, I know. <laughs> so the ref starts the five count and Alexa lets go and walks away. Um, it, is, it is a wonderful thing that uh, heels often do. Like my favorite one being the, uh, like, 
when the ref tries to pull someone off, but he's like got them in the corner and just turning and yelling in the ref's face, being just like, I have until five. Yeah. <laughs> like she then did the hair stand again and the ref starts the five count and she's just mouthing along with the count, rocking her head from side to side, really patronizingly and let go on four and walk away. And in uh, her championship match with Bailey, because uh, she's moved to the Raw roster, yeah. she uh, fires Bailey into the ring post head first. Like it's a really nasty looking spot. And the ref's down checking on Bailey, and Alexa goes to drag her out of the corner, and the ref's like, back off, I'm checking on her. She goes to drag her out again, the ref goes, back off, I'm checking on her. And Alexa comes in a third time and goes, she's fine grabs her foot and just yanks her back into the ring, hits a huge DDT and pins her. <laughs> I love Alexa Bliss. She's just such a catty, vicious, opportunistic heel. And it's partly seeing where she's come from, you know, how she was when she debuted compared to how she is now and how little time has passed in between. I love her. I I am so impressed with how hard she's worked and the stuff she's doing is endlessly entertaining. Oh, I, I, uh, stuff like this that really makes me want to go back and start getting back into wrestling properly. Mm, there's a lot of good stuff to watch right now. And it, yeah, that was WrestleMania, but I, I highly recommend Alexa Bliss's stuff. Any match that she's in is pretty much great because she will entertain you. Uh, NXT is so good right now. And then there's British wrestling. Yep. Which has become such a thing lately. Which you wouldn't expect. Out of nowhere. It's been a while since the days of, well, the the original days of uh, uh, World of Sport and whatnot. Yep, very true. But we are now in an era where you hear the words, I'm from Dudley, on WWE programming on a weekly basis. That's a weird world to live in. I know. And the reason for this is uh, back in January, beginning of this year, WWE held a tournament for a brand new UK championship belt in Blackpool, which, as we know, has a long and sordid history of violence, according to what they used to say about William Regal. (laughs) And yeah, this was a 16 uh, competitor match. Um, You know, your normal brackets going down to a final to decide the first UK champion, uh, WWE UK champion. And it was a pretty diverse crowd, I gotta say. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So one name you'll know, Mark Andrews was there. Woo! Mandrews! Yeah, Mandrews was there. Um, he's probably the only one there with prior TV experience. I would, I would go out on a limb and say that. I think, I think I've shared my, my Mandrews story on Dangerously Unprepared before. I think you might have, but, but it might be worth a retelling. I want to tell it again because I fucking love it. So Rowan and I used to go every year to the CNA tapings in London that would come of a January every year. Uh, and uh, this was the, the last one we went to was the first one that uh, that Mark Andrews, Mandrews, uh, was there. Um, and 
we we got to go to the the, the bar afterwards at the hotel because they all the wrestlers were staying in the same hotel as us. And uh, went to the bar and I was like, I saw Mark Andrews and I was like, oh, I want to go and tell him that he's awesome and that I was pulling for him and really hoping he was going to join CNA and I was really happy that he did and he did amazing work tonight. He was a fantastic, like, I want to tell him he was amazing. I want to tell him he was amazing. I'm going to tell him he was awesome. I am going to, I'm going to go over there. I'm going to tell him he was awesome. Oh, he's leaving, he's leaving the bar. He's coming this way. I'm going to tell him he's awesome. And I, I, I stood up and I opened my mouth to speak and Mark Andrews just smiled at me as he went past and went, you were awesome tonight and left. And I was left there with my mouth hanging open going, no, no you were awesome. What the fuck just happened? <laughs> like, what the shit just happened? Is Mark Andrews psychic? I, I think he might hear that a lot. I guess. You know, I, I think it's he probably not awesome. the first time someone's come up to say you were awesome tonight. Oh, now I feel bad. Oh no, I, I think it's clearly that he likes it, or he wouldn't yeah. be making a joke of it. I think he just likes <laughs> fucking with people. <laughs> I think that's the thing about TNA people is that yeah, because I I also we Rowan and I had had drinks with uh, with uh, Brian Stifler and um, oh uh, oh which Hebner was it? Not Earl, the younger Hebner, Hebner Junior. Hebner Jr. Uh, we had, my God, they can put it away. Referees, fucking Jesus Christ, they drink like <laughs> motherfuckers. It was terrifying. But yeah, uh, Stifler was trying to sort of just like going, he was like sort of playing this game. Going, oh yeah, like, oh well, yeah, well, we, I work with TNA. Yeah, I'm the, uh, you know, one of the, just one of the guys in the back. You probably wouldn't recognize. I'm like, mate, I know you're a referee. You're trying to, you're trying to do this thing where you're trying to get me to pretend I don't know who you are. Are you just trying? Are you trying to like make me embarrassed? It's not going to work. I love referees. You guys are awesome. The refs are the the refs deserve more credit. Oh, like definitely. oh, recently in WWE, a ref got like um cell of the night. Yeah, they did the classic ring implosion bit. Oh, okay. It was Big Show, of course. Of course, and Braun Strowman. Ah, uh, Big Slam. Ring collapses. But the thing is, the ref sold the ring collapse so well that on Reddit there were a lot of people wondering if he was genuinely hurt. <laughs> but he, he really looked like he'd taken a nasty bump as the ring went down. But it was just a beautiful sell job. <laughs> so That's the ref awesome. put that spot over better than the wrestlers did. Aww. But the, the UK Championship was notable... Uh, for a couple of reasons. One, it introduced American wrestling fans to people like Wolfgang. Oh, Wolfie. Wolfie. Wolfie, uh, being a 255-pound Glaswegian who can still do top-rope moves like a cruiserweight. He's a high flyer. There's, he's also he's a high flyer. He's built like a fucking Glaswegian like death metaler. Well, like a Glaswegian barman and yeah. bouncer, which is he what is. he is. Yeah. Um, we're all going to have a party when Wolfie wins. I'm bringing, Fucking the, Wolf I'm bringing the title back to Glasgow. Wolfie's amazing. Yeah. Um, and something unlike the uh, the likes of which that American wrestlers haven't really seen before. Not but for also a while, just anyway. The backstory of all the British wrestlers was the talk of the American wrestling 
message boards. Yeah. Because well, the classic American wrestler's backstory is, uh, you know, I was a high school football guy, wrestled freestyle in college and was a quarterback and could have gone for a, a NFL career, but, you know, stuck with the wrestling thing and they're a decorated oh, yeah. athlete. And, and all of the British wrestlers things were like, I'm 19 years old. I've been training for 27 years and I took my first life in a pub fight in Nor- Norwich. Um, <laughs> Like they were all such. <laughs> yes, it's so accurate. It's amazing, and they were just like, "What the fuck is with these guys?" And that was before they got to Pete Dunne. Oh God, who is amazing. I've been wrestling since I was two. <laughs> but no, he's ah, he's so good because he's uh, he was the the finalist who didn't win. So he's like the top British heel right now. And he's fighting Tyler in a rematch at the next NXT pay-per-view. So yeah, Pete Dunne's getting more promo time now because of that. And the way they're uh, cutting between like interviews with Tyler and interviews with Pete are just so good and so not how American wrestling promos normally go. So you've got Tyler Bate, who is the 19-year-old uh champion the uk champion saying oh working for the wwe and being uk champion you know it's it's like a dream come true and then it just hard cuts to pete dungo i crush dreams that's what i do <laughs> i small. beat people up another dream crushed and it's just <laughs> he's so he he's a bully and it's it's beautiful that that's such a british heel character is just an outright bully and it's not really what Americans are used to. And also, and it is refreshing. We are joined by Irish. Hello, <laughs> sir. Hello. <gasps> oh God, he's doing a run. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you you have joined us talking about the UK Championship that WWE are doing, and and the sudden rise to fame of some British wrestlers Ooh. that are not what America is used to. Oh, interesting. Because uh, as I was saying to Jack. Uh, just before you turned up, they they did a, a tournament in January, and it was yeah, notable. I remember that it was in Blackpool, wasn't it? Yes, and it was notable for two things: one being how very different the wrestlers are, and two being how very different the crowd is. Right, British fans, not like American fans. <laughs> <laughs> well, not like most American fans. There are certain American uh, fan groups that are. Um... Well, New York crowds, for example. Yes. Uh, even then, uh, I, I don't think it was quite the same. Like, one of my favorite moments in the tournament was Jordan Devlin, who... Oh, yeah. He is... Finn Balor. Yeah, Finn Balor's protege. And, you know, trained by Finn, worked with Finn a lot, and looks quite a lot like Finn Balor. So when he came out, the British crowd on live WWE programming recorded for all eternity on the <laughs> WWE network chanted your shit Bala oh, yeah. <laughs> and what's even more beautiful is Finn was in the UK to do some promo for the championship and turned up at, I think it was a progress wrestling show um, where they chanted at him you're a shit Devlin uh, <laughs> which was pretty fun <laughs> equal, opportunity, 
ribbing. I love it. Uh, there was the poor guy whose trunks had a silk print of his own face on the back of them, leading to the arena-wide chance of he's got his own face on his ass. That was quite fun. Um, <laughs> so it was a rowdy crowd, <laughs> and I loved it. Yep. Uh, and basically all 16 people who were involved now have a non-exclusive contract with the WWE and they're doing appearances, uh, building up to this UK show, uh, the championship show, as I said, debuting the night we're recording. So we're going to see more of Tyler and Pete Dunn and Trent Seven and Wolfgang and Jordan Devlin. And um, it's going to be good. I, I, I kind of, I don't know if I want to see Trent Seven and Tyler Bay team up in WWE. They are a tag team. Uh, they are Mustache Mountain. Again, something classically British. Yep. Uh, oh, which leads me to one of my favorite appearances by Tyler Bate on the WWE since he's become the UK champion was his match with the gentleman Jack Gallagher. I don't know if you're familiar with the gentleman in question. He was at the Rumble, wasn't he? <laughs> he was. Was uh, he the very white man? Yes. Like, like whiter than Seamus. Yes. He's not actually an albino. But, yes, that's that's the fellow. Uh, yeah. He doesn't have the build, you would imagine, for a wrestler. He doesn't have the tan, you would imagine, for a wrestler. Uh, in fact, I've just posted a link, unfortunately, to the sun um, in the chat so that you can have a look at the guy. <laughs> he is a scrawny, oh. pasty white, ginger, mustachioed gentleman in wrestling boots that look like black dress shoes. Uh, yeah. Socks. It's like, is this Tab's brother? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and he has a gimmick of using an umbrella as a weapon. Or as a, a means of trying to stop himself from getting eliminated from the Royal <laughs> Rumble by opening up like Mary Poppins. <laughs> wow. So, and, and Tyler Bate is not that much larger or that much more tanned, if I'm honest. Yeah, uh, but in fairness, has a much more uh, classical wrestling physique, let's say. Yeah, but it is equally British and mustachioed. So the WWE saw an obvious opportunity to put the two of them together in a championship match. Of course, and they did a little on-camera promo that was the most passive-aggressive British promo you can possibly imagine. <laughs> Where Jack Gallagher was like, you know, I, I look forward to facing you in the ring and besting you for the UK Championship. It's like, yes, um, I, I look forward to defending my championship against you. Attempting to defend Oh boy. Yes, if you say so. Yes. Wow. <laughs> the Americans must have just sat there gone, the fuck is going on? <laughs> what is happening? And yeah, if we get Nigel McGuinness and Jim Ross announcing it, which apparently is the plan, 
Yeah. And a regular show of these guys and more Brits presumably will be brought in. Uh, I'm I'm all in favor of that. I I want to see more British wrestling. Especially when it's just this damn good. Yeah. It's I there's so much good stuff and it's not the stuff that's on TV. That's what's interesting. Like we haven't even talked about the cruiserweights. Oh, oh, uh, 205 Live. 205 Live. Yeah, 205 pounds and less cruiserweight division. And it's some of the most athletic stuff you'll see in sort of mainstream American professional wrestling. Yeah. I mean, there is stuff out there that's more impressive. Like, um, Ricochet and the name has completely escaped. Osprey. Ricochet and Osprey. Perhaps being like the benchmark these days for athletic showcase. Yeah. Not necessarily storytelling. No, certainly not. But if you want to see that kind of high-flying athletic stuff, uh, 205 Live with Brian Kendrick, Austin Aries. Uh, the Brian Kendrick. Yeah, the Brian Kendrick. I, I do apologize. TJP, <laughs> Rich Swan, Noam Dar, Neville, Hoho Lun. It's, it's damn good stuff. Like, again, like NXT, it's very story light and action heavy. Like, you don't necessarily need a storyline. They're just really impressive to watch. Hmm. In fact, you know what? I'm just gonna I'm, don't watch it now, uh, Irish. But I'm gonna put in uh, into the chat. Yeah, the Osprey Ricochet, the highlights of the Ricochet Osprey match. Okay. Such an amazing yeah. match. I mean, yeah. The thing is, like, I do agree with. Uh, there were a lot of people who were fans of like classic pro wrestling who were very opposed to it because it wasn't a wrestling match. And I can see where they're coming from. Yes. I I get where the criticisms come from, but my God, is it great to watch? It was a choreographed, highly choreographed set piece. Uh, it's phenomenal to watch. It's hugely impressive. I take nothing away from either man. I was blown away. But uh, the the classic response from a lot of the old school wrestling guys was, I don't believe either one of them is trying to win. Yeah. I, it's I don't, a lot more like Lucha Libre than it is yes. American wrestling. Although even in Lucha Libre, I think someone wants to win, you know? Yeah. It still looks like a fight. And Osprey Ricochet didn't look like a fight. It looked like its own thing that is, you know, worth all the praise. But it's it's not really wrestling, I guess. And I think TNA was guilty of that at times as well. With some of the really uh, big spots in the X Division. Yeah. Where what you saw were like five or six guys working together to make something impressive happen. And yeah. Uh, so, yeah. And you could tell this was five or six guys working together to make something impressive happen. It wasn't anyone trying to win a match. Which is which is a shame, but at the same time, uh, the, the, the end result is you get five guys making something amazing happen. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And the thing about wrestling, of course, is you you know, if, if I, I hope you know, that actually... No one is trying to win. 
So, unless, they're, unless they're Loki. Well, unless they're... Well, no, Loki's <laughs> trying to win his own game. Yeah, and his own he game is... What else is going on? It just happens that his own game is how many people can I stamp on the head off? Yes. Um, they're, they're, everyone is trying to put on a spectacle, but there is the, the classical wrestling attitude of trying to make it look convincing, and there's a more modern ethos of trying to make it look impressive. Yeah. And I... <clears throat> I'm so torn on this one because I kind of keep going back to the old school style of there there are two things here. One, even if I know it isn't I'm I'm not gonna say it isn't real because it is fucking real and people get hurt all the time. Um even if I know it's arranged, even if I know it's predecided, I want you to convince me that it isn't. Yeah. I want you to go out there and make it look real. Uh, Make us suspend our disbelief Exactly, it's like watching a film You know it's not real But you want to get drawn into the action You want it to be convincing and compelling And I want that You know, I want you to do that And also, I want you guys to work safe (laughs) Like, I, I like wrestlers I think a lot of them are really interesting Fascinating people who do some phenomenal stuff That I could never do but a lot of what they do is really dangerous, and when you're doing those huge high spots, that's not safe. It's one of the things I really like about Kevin Owens. He looks compelling, he looks convincing, he makes me believe he wants to win, but he's very rarely putting himself in harm's way to the extent that a lot of the younger guys, who in fairness to them are trying to get attention in a very crowded market, are doing. Yeah. And I see, you know, big stunts like they used to do in the TNA X Division and stuff. And I go, that's amazing, but you've shortened your career by five years <laughs> if you keep doing this shit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 10 years if you keep doing it. 15 years if you keep on doing it. Um, whereas someone like Kevin Owens, who his whole, his whole deal is he's a, a brawler, uh, he'll work forever because he's not putting himself at the same risk of injury. So I'm really torn on that kind of high-flying, high-risk, incredible spectacle stuff. I love seeing it, but knowing what it does to people, (laughs) not so much. Bring back unprotected chair shots to the head. (laughs) Not (laughs) unprotected chair shots to the head. Oh, God. Yeah. Like, it's actually one of the things I, I find much more bearable about wrestling now is that there is... Uh, a huge concern about concussion now. Yeah, it used, it used to be a selling point, didn't it? Like, oh, that man must have had his brain scrambled. Oh, he must be fighting off a concussion. And now then they've realized, yeah. oh, wait. Well, and, and with good reason. Like, yeah. you look yeah. at the history of concussion in wrestling, killing people, and not necessarily the people with the concussion, mm-hmm. uh, if you know the history of Chris Benoit. Um, it, it's... Serious business. It you know got to the Senate. It's that serious. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, American football is dealing with the same issue. You know, uh, concussions became a broad spectrum topic in American sports and sports entertainment. So, the knowledge that there is a greater concern for safety now is is making it much more comfortable to watch these days. Because there's that point where you're too young to realize, then there's that point where you're old enough to realize and go, oh, that's 
deeply unsettling. And then you go and you watch, say, Mike Awesome versus Masato Tanaka. And you're like, yeah. holy shit. <laughs> Which, I mean, in a lot of ways, actually, the Osprey Ricochet match was pretty safe. Yeah. Well, no one like, was there was not anyone. a lot in the yeah. No one was hitting each uh, each other, which is pretty safe. <laughs> so I, I'm looking for some middle ground of some convincing, engaging wrestling that doesn't make me wince. Going, oh, that oh that headshot is not going to do good things for you. So what you're saying is you want Lucha Underground? <laughs> pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, just just <laughs> throw that that my my new fixation in there. Actually, I fucking love Lucha Underground for yeah. a whole other reason. Is it Robert Rodriguez? <laughs> well, I yes, but <laughs> no. The reason I love Lucha Underground is there are two ways you can go. Well, I guess there's three ways you can go with the whole, uh, you know, the internet and general sort of awareness has made it impossible for anyone to believe wrestling is air quotes real. Yeah, that it is a genuine competitive sport. Mm. And there's basically three ways you can go with that. One is to say, well, we're, we're making a TV show, we're making a movie, we'll just make it compelling and engaging, even if people technically know it's not real, the, the WWE approach. Yeah, right. Uh, one is to say, well, fuck it. If everybody knows it's not real, why not put on a showcase clinic, uh, the TNA X Division, Osprey Ricochet kind of approach yeah. of, We'll just make it as impressive to watch as we can then. And and who cares about being convincing? And the other to go is, oh, if you know it's not real, why don't we have dragons? <laughs> um, and that's what Lucia Underground did. They Lucha, were like... Lucia Underground is basically some... It's Robert Rodriguez producing it. So, you know, producer of Spy Kids and Machete and like all that good stuff. Um, <laughs> and essentially, it, it's a Mexican wrestling promotion headed by... the Like... Every wrestling promotion needs an evil businessman to be running it, right? And yep. essentially, it is, what would it be like if pro wrestling were a real-world equivalent to uh, every, like, beat-em-up tournament ever? Like Mortal so, Kombat, basically. Like Mortal Kombat or Tekken and that sort of stuff. So it's, I forget what his name is, but the guy who runs Lucha, uh, Lucha Underground has bought uh, land, which is on the site of a former Aztec temple. Right. Deliberately. And he's built a wrestling arena around this former Aztec temple so that these will be his new blood sport games so that he can use these wrestlers as sacrifices to, to the great Aztec gods. <laughs> so they've amazing. taken the third way, the, the third way of just doubling the fuck down on it not being real and saying... <laughs> This really isn't real because this guy has jet boots and this guy breathes fire and yeah. <laughs> it's, it's fucking amazing. <laughs> but equally, like you have amazing shit. Like people, uh, like uh, the, the the guy who runs it, his his office is actually at ringside. He's got like a little porter cabin thing uh, built at ringside, and there's a wonderful moment of a guy being on the top of a ladder. The ladder being in the center of the ring, the ladder being knocked over, him going off the top of the ladder, over the top rope, and smashing through the window of this guy's porter cabin. And it just, the camera cuts to inside the cabin where the boss is there on the phone to someone and then just watches a big burly wrestler smash in through his window and lie unconscious on his desk. And he just stares for a moment, 
and then just says, I'll call you back, puts the phone down, picks up a glass of wine and sips it whilst looking at this unconscious guy, and then just gives an evil laugh. <laughs> it's amazing! And, and it's got um, uh, Chili to Melissa in it. Oh, is she in there now? Yeah, Mariposa. Oh my god! Is oh. Melissa Anderson slash Raisha Saeed. Yeah. She did not last long in TNA, and that was a massive No, game. no, she did not. Well, actually, given the way TNA went, well, yeah, <laughs> I think she may have got the better end of that deal. You also had uh, Sexy Star as well, who's an amazing yep. women's wrestler who's now left uh, Lucha Underground to go pursue a boxing career. Which is awesome, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and on the men's roster, I mean, fuck, you've got Paul London there, you've got Rey Mysterio. Uh, Alberto uh, Patron occasionally. Yep. It's it's a really good show you got because va- vampire vampiro on the on the commentary desk. I know. <laughs> it's weird. Uh, and and Matt Stryker as well. Yeah, like that's a weird combination of people because they're both really smart, but they're both also kind of dickheads. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> I mean, it sort of works because I mean. Who would be the commentary team for a blood sport? A couple of dickheads. Yeah. Is Matt Stryker the one who had the the, um, the teacher gimmick? Yes, that was him. Right. I, I, had, I found amazing amounts of respect for this man because I found out something about him uh, in his early wrestling days. That is, mm-hmm. it is shoot, this is for real. Right. He, you know how he had the, the, the teacher gimmick? Yeah, because he was a teacher. He used to be a teacher. Do you know why he got fired for being a teacher? Uh, no, I do not. He would use sick days to go and wrestle in Japan. <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> he would use sick days to like, take a week off work, go to Japan and wrestle in tournaments in Japan. That That's... Wow. <laughs> and this is what I mean about wrestlers being really interesting people. Yeah. Like, uh, one of my one of my favourites, uh, Awesome Kong, speaking of oh TNA. Oh my god, yes. Karma slash Kong slash... Uh, yeah. Kia Stevens is her real name. Yeah. And do you know what she did before she was a wrestler? Uh, I, I've told you this story before, so she, do you remember what she, she did? Uh, she was in Japan, I believe, doing martial arts, wasn't she? Or No? Uh, no, 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 no. Before before she went to Japan. <laughs> okay. She was a social worker. Oh. Until she had the thought, <laughs> no word of a lie, this is how she describes how she got into the business. Yep. Well, shit, if I'm going to have chairs thrown at me for a living, I can make better money than this. <laughs> wow. Oh, and she is amazing. <laughs> I think I think my favourite getting into wrestling story, though, is probably Lita. <laughs> Lita's story is amazing. Because, <laughs> I mean, you know, breaking into the business, because she got into wrestling as a fan very early. She grew up as a fan and was very, very clear she wanted to wrestle. But she wasn't into American pro wrestling. She was into Lucha Libre. Uh, so she packed up a suitcase right. and went to Mexico City. Oh, yeah, I know the story. Even though she didn't speak a word of Spanish. Ah, she spoke, she spoke oh. four words of Spanish. Yes, four words of Spanish. Donde esta Lucha Libre? Where is the Lucha Libre? And, and, checked and she would go... Yep, checked into a hotel, went, sat in the front row, uh, 
and would bother them all after the show going, teach me, teach me, show me how. And she just became the crazy white girl who won't <laughs> leave us alone. And, and she didn't leave them alone until they were like, okay, I guess. And then they trained her. <laughs> uh, I guess what I'm saying is wrestlers are weird people and like take every opportunity to get interviews with wrestlers because they're great. And I mean, you won't be hurting to try and find uh, interviews with, say, people like Jim Cornette online. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Well, like two of my favorites are um, the Stone Cold podcast, hey, where oh. Steve Austin will interview various wrestlers. Whilst also, and that's like, great. Yeah, like he'll interview people, but also like review farming equipment and beer. Yes, because <laughs> he works a ranch. Yes, and and he makes his own beer. And he will also the Broken you know, Skull IPA. He'll also sort of stop every couple of seconds, and say, "Now that be that as it may, things being what they are." <laughs> but I love that because you get his stories and you get the stories of the guys who are on. I I, I did I, I did hear one that was like people. T- it was people talking about his his podcast and saying like it completely killed the mystique of the old like Stone Cold Steve Austin character when he was talking about going back into the WWE after his neck injury. And right. he put on a lot of weight. He was like not working out as much. He was eating quite a lot of junk food, so he put on a lot of weight. He was driving down the highway, eating a burger, and he started choking on the burger. And he had this mental... And the way he puts it in his podcast, uh, oh, Lord, don't let Stone Cold go out this way. <laughs> like, oh, God. Can you imagine how that... How he, like, the story of Stone Cold Steve Austin could have ended with him dying, choking on a burger. <laughs> oh, oh, like, it's so, so sad. His stories are great. They're they're ridiculously honest. Uh, like he was talking with someone from his era, and he was talking about when they were brand new. Yeah, years before he was Stone Cold. Years before he was even the Ringmaster. Oh. Years before he was stunning Steve. When he was just getting started, and he was like the new kid in the locker room. Yeah, and he was sharing a locker room with, amongst other people, uh, Kurt Henning, Mister Perfect. And he complained that his back was sore. Now, this this was back in the bad, bad old days when there wasn't even a doctor backstage. Yeah. Um, and Mr. Perfect is like, I can sort you out. Lie down on this bench. It's like, you don't say no to Mr. Perfect. Yep. So he lies down on the bench and Kurt wraps a towel around his neck, <laughs> puts a boot on his shoulder and pulls. <laughs> and- <laughs> He says, like, after after a few seconds of that, you feel so, so much worse. <laughs> and he asks you, does that feel better? And you suddenly realize, one, he can't lose face. He's the locker room alpha. And two, if you say no, he might keep trying to fix it. So you say, yeah, that feels great. And what you've just done is led him to believe that it works. <laughs> So he keeps doing it to other people. (laughs) (laughs) What? Um, And and this is the kind of shit you hear about all the time. And the other podcast I recommend is uh, Talk is Jericho. Because Chris Jericho on a microphone, always good. (laughs) And he gets great interviews as well. Uh, Even if it's banned as shit. Even if it's banned. Oh, Fozzie is shit. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. But 
talking on a microphone, Chris Jericho yeah. is great. And the last thing I would recommend is Deep South Professional Wrestling. Ooh, I don't know this one. Ah, right. So this is amazing. Like, I can't believe I am sitting here and saying, like, I thoroughly recommend you all go and check out these adverts for Kentucky Fried Chicken. Wait, what? Uh, But that is what they are. Yes, now I remember, yes. What? So the WWE guys basically do a lot of shit backstage to entertain each other. A lot of impersonations, a lot of riffing on what the business is. And so they'll have these recurring characters of their own and shit. Deep South Professional Wrestling are a series of found videotapes from... hmm? No, it's not. It's Southpaw Professional Wrestling. Thank you. Zoe from Off Mic has reminded me it is Southpaw Professional Wrestling. Um, It's a series of found tapes from the 80s from an independent promotion. Yeah, right. Uh, And they're all sort of hype tapes for uh, the Lethal Leap Year promotion. And it's all guys from the WWE playing these weird personas. Like John Cena is the commentator who is a failed news anchor. Um, uh, Rusev is the all-American Deep South farmer. Uh, Chris Jericho is their backstage interviewer guy. And then you've got Gallows and Anderson, the club who we mentioned earlier, who are um, Sex Ferguson. Hereby... uh, that is what he calls himself backstage when he's doing it, but hereby re- renamed to Tex Ferguson yep. for uh, obvious sort of family-friendly reasons. And, and for much the same reasons that Edge goes by Edge and not by his original wrestling name of Sexton Hardcastle. <laughs> well, yes, exactly that. Um, and his uh, his compatriot, whose name has suddenly escaped me, and I I'm so angry at myself now because. Southpaw is amazing. Uh, see if I can find it quickly. Chad, too bad. Uh, that was it. Uh, they also have the the guy who sells the t-shirts, the impressive Pelvis Wesley, who is a bad Elvis Presley impersonator. <laughs> um, and Ric Flair appearing as a Ric Flair impersonator. <laughs> And they're all just viral adverts for Kentucky Fried Chicken because it's just presented very straight as this incredibly low-budget, straight-to-VHS wrestling promotion that will occasionally cut to like an illustrated picture of a Kentucky Fried Chicken house with Ric Flair over the top saying things like, a limited number of Southpaw professional wrestlers will be appearing at the Kentucky Fried Chicken after the show. They might sign autographs if if you ask nicely, maybe. (laughs) And things like, if Southpaw could afford Ric Flair, then what he would tell you is to go to KFC and enjoy their crispy golden (laughs) Georgia gold chicken. I am not Ric Flair, I cannot stress that enough, but if I was... That is the recommendation I would make. <laughs> it's just really, really strange and very silly, and it's all on YouTube, so go and check Absolutely. it out. I remember seeing the first episode and loving it. About the, the wonderful storyline between um, Big Bartholomew, the Deep South farmer, 
played by Rusev, and his rival, the banker, Mr. McElroy, who bought his farm. <laughs> I, I won't ruin the ending of that one, because it's a twist. Yep, it's a swerve. <laughs> it's, a it's a big swerve. But honestly, John Cena as Lance Catamaran is, ah, uh, there's something amazing about Cena's deadpan <laughs> performance. He's so good at comedy. Like, this is something we've learned through his acting recently as well. That, that man has some amazing deadpan delivery, some amazing timing. And the Lance Catamaran failed news anchor role is just so good. When he talks about when he used to pay common people to demean me <laughs> by telling me I was not good at presenting the news. <laughs> And if you take one thing away from this episode, let it be take, that. Take away Southport Professional <laughs> Wrestling. Anything else to add? I think we've covered it quite yeah. well. I think that works for me. I have, cool. I have nothing to add. So. <laughs> you were just getting your little bit of, uh, your little bit of uh, education at the end there. Yes. You'll have to go back and listen to the start of the episode. Indeed. <laughs> what you, you won't be able to make Roman look strong. No one needs to make Roman look strong. Roman makes Roman look strong. Because he's strong. He's a good lad, and he deserves better. He's not a good guy. Is he a heel he's not though? a bad guy. He's the guy. Oh. Is he a heel yet? No, no, that is his thing. Oh. Okay. I'm not a good guy. I'm not a bad guy. I'm the guy. I thought he was the big dog. He's also the big dog. But, yeah, he, he's not a heel because, like, they're, they're doing... Sort of a much more obvious on the nose version of what they did with Cena when he was getting cheers and booze of saying, well, leave him where he is because half the crowd are cheering, half the crowd are booing, but they're all making noise. Yeah. So he's very deliberately tweener right now. Right. But Cena was always face. It's just that people booed him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Roman, the thing is, I think they know if they try and book him as face, he won't be over. Yeah. And if they try and book him as heel, they lose the kids. Yeah. Yeah. But the kids can come So they book Cena. him as Roman. Yeah. Well, uh, Cena isn't on the same show. Oh, is he not? Oh, okay. Uh, so there's no direct competition for the love of the kids there. That's fine. You can just, just build a new, like, lovable baby face that the kids can go to, like, gravitate towards. Like, just turn Braun into a, into a baby face. Or, <laughs> or Kevin Owens. Or Kevin Owens. Or, or, uh, Kevin Owens would make a great face. That would be amazing. <laughs> Actually, he has work face. Yeah. Um, uh, it works. I mean, Kevin Owens has a similar thing going on to Samoa Joe. In terms of the whole face heel thing, he it's, he acts exactly the same. It, well, the only thing that changes is whether or not they smile. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like, they will fight with precisely the same viciousness and intensity. But like when getting interviewed, if they're face, they'll they'll smile and and be happy, and if they're heel, they won't. But like, Joe <laughs> no always gives exactly the same promos, which I, I, I think I might have mentioned it on the last episode, but like, you know he does that thing where he talks really quietly and then will just yell on certain words? Yeah. It's like, you just need to understand. There's only one thing you need to understand. And I'm like, I, I thought that was really, really cool, right up until someone pointed out that it sounds like there's someone 
hiding behind him, occasionally, <laughs> occasionally poking him in the bum. <laughs> like he's just getting goosed occasionally. The next time you watch a Samoa Joe promo where he's doing that, just imagine that's happening and suddenly you're like, oh, fuck. Well, the, the thing is, when you're saying really quiet, really loud, really quiet, yeah. maybe he's just a grunge fan. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Because that's how every grunge song goes. <laughs> no, because I... I Oh god, I had that revelation driven home to me the other day. This right, this is nothing to do with wrestling. This is just me feeling horribly old. That's all right. Have you seen the YouTube series Kids React? I avoid it like the yes. plague because I know exactly what yeah. it's going to do to me. <laughs> yeah, trust me, trust me, don't. Because uh, I watched Kids React to Nirvana. Oh no! <laughs> what? Well, uh... But Simon, and, Nirvana right. was like twenty-five years ago. No, no, Nirvana was at most seven years ago. How dare you? Um, right, nothing. Nothing has made me feel old. Not my joints going, not my, uh, uh, not the, the horrible personal trainer calling me as flexible as a geriatric. <laughs> nothing has made me feel as old as a small child listening to Nirvana and going, I know this. My dad listens to this in the car. Oh my god. Dad music. It is. Oh god. Because it was 25 years ago. Yeah. I, right, yeah. The thing is, you know how we normally measure the age of things by like pointing out to people, you know, there are there are there are porn stars younger than this. Like I point out there are porn stars <laughs> who have retired who were born after yeah, yeah, that is sadly true. But like, they played them a whole bunch of different Nirvana songs, and it was just my whole love of grunge as a genre was picked apart by a small child who, after listening to four separate songs, just went, "They all just go quiet bit, loud bit, quiet bit, don't they?" <laughs> I was like, "Holy shit, that is the whole genre." Well, luckily, I think we're still a few years out from having kids react to new metal. Um, because after that, then I'll feel really old. Because that's that's my thing. <laughs> my favourite comment in the whole episode was when they were listening and the song started and they just said, I'm so happy. And they just went, he doesn't sound happy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. But as much yeah. as it makes me feel old, I actually kind of love Kids React. Kids React to the Walkman was amazing. <laughs> the fuck? They, they handed them a Walkman. They were told, this is what people used to listen to music on. And gave them no further instructions. There wasn't even a cassette in it. And they, they were trying to make it work. And then they were given a tape. Yeah. And, and eventually most of them got the tape in and got it playing, but there was still no sound, and they were all looking really, really confused until they were told, you need to use headphones, and handed headphones, they are like, you need to? What? Because <laughs> every MP3 player now has speakers. That's why it doesn't. And they were so confused. Uh, and then they started talking to them about how many songs you can get on a tape. No skip button. And, and yeah, and how if you wanted to listen to a track that was later on the tape, you had to fast forward. Yep. And, and roughly sort of remember where it was. Linear time. And there was just one kid, when they were told how many songs you could fit on a tape, he had this thousand-yard Vietnam vet stare. <laughs> and they left him uninterrupted for a while, and they said, what are you thinking about? And he just went, you need so many tapes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, man. 
Yes. It's kind of an amazing yes, show. Like, would. yes, we, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They just Old yes, they are the same people who do the old people react as well, uh, which is hilarious. The, the old people react to Grand Theft Auto Five was great. Holy shit! <laughs> yeah, there, there was this one lady in particular who was just amazing, and she was doing the bit fairly early on where you're playing as the Michael, Michael as Michael uh, in his home, and it's the bit where the wife is in the kitchen. Right. And it's like, oh, who is that? Sister? Wife? And she makes some comment about drinking enough to stand the sight of him or something. Girlfriend, wife. Um, and she makes some comment about drinking enough to stand the sight of him or something. He goes, oh, it's his wife. (laughs) (laughs) And there was this one old guy who just went on a rampage giggling. (laughs) (laughs) It was amazing. So I actually really like those videos, uh, but the kids react one does have the capacity to make me feel absurdly old. Yeah, is, is that the Fine Fine Brothers? Uh, I think it is. Yeah, what, the ones who tried to trademark it. Uh, it probably is. Yeah, I, I don't follow it enough to care who makes them, but the <laughs> the actual shows are pretty great. Was the cassette one when Guardians came out? It may have been when the first Guardians came out, yeah. yeah. That would have been relevant, I guess. What it was. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, uh, that was a little bit off topic, but worth worth mentioning, yeah. I think. So until next time, thank you for joining us, and you have been listening to Dangerously Unprepared. I have been Simon. I have been Jumping Jack Crawford. <laughs> and I've briefly been Irish. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.